large for a dining room table, isn't it? If we cut them in two, it will suit the purpose. Saeed, can I talk to you? Of course. Alone? Whatever you need to say, you can say it here. It's about the hatch. Oh, you mean the guy locked in the closet there? What about him? It's to his balloon. How did you get him to do this? I asked nicely. Did Jack and Locke know about this? Jack and Locke are a little too busy worrying about Locke and Jack. All I want to know is if this guy's telling the truth. Why come to me? Judging from what you did to his face, that's what you want, too. This is at least a day's walk. Then we should get going. is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps hello everybody i am josh wiggler joined here by mike bloom mike bloom are you ready to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you can i don't know if i can handle it i don't know if you can handle it Did but i'm ready to order take to the, the code these... i mean maybe give me an oscar i think that that's what, how what got I do? It. he says give me an oscar yeah, that's how that's how most of them do it. I was gonna say I I, I know uh, Ben uh, Linus immediately turned out to this podcast as I mentioned. Take to the stand because he's still pissed that uh, Stephen King is not available in the library, and he had to use the first page of Dostoevsky oh to draw his the map. whole truth. Time to spill the milk on the whole truth. Season two, episode sixteen, a sun flashback with a splash of gin. Uh, sounds like a delightful drink. <laughs> uh, but son, son, don't, don't drink, drink it, it because son's pregnant. Hassan, hooray! Hooray! John is making his uh, sort of oh debut. Cre- yes, her debut. Oh my god! I, I don't know why I'm well, doing, uh, have well, that. Well, Jin was like, oh, although I guess, it's a boy. It's like, yeah, you get a little ahead of yourself. That's sir. what I was thinking. Yeah, though I think it's a nice yeah, King course. Daddy Quan reference. Who did? Unfortunately, does not if we show have up in a this bo- episode. If we have a boy, but I mean, technically, I think we should name him King Daddy after my father. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I maybe at this point, again, I'm not entirely sure when it comes to uh, in utero as to what if Gion has a gender as of yet. But it is not to get too much into the Jim Fells of it. Uh, credit where credit is due is brought in. We do have, I guess, a new member of the Lost crew brought in in this episode, even though she has yet to come into existence until very, very far in the yeah, future. Okay, quite literally. so this is the whole truth. Nothing but the whole truth here on Down the Hatch. Season 2, episode 16, of course, uh, we will be getting to feedback later on in the podcast. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is the way to send that in. Very easy, very easy to find. Email address down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can always tweet at us as well. I'm at Round Howard. Mike is at 
a Mike Bloom type and tag at Post Show Recaps as well. This episode comes to you by Karen Gaviola, director uh, written by Elizabeth Sarnoff and Christina M. Kim. And as we said last week, this episode shows up uh, quite a ways away from maternity leave, three weeks after maternity leave. Uh, March sec- uh, 22nd, 2006 is when this episode arrives. And Mike, I don't remember if, and it's funny that I don't remember this. I don't remember if this was something that you and I talked about online or offline last week when we hung up the podcast. <laughs> but I said, I have a feeling that the whole truth is the episode of Lost that I remember the least. That when I think about the entire mm. pantheon of Lost and all of the details, like if you showed me the title of an episode, um, would you be able to tell me the, the general plot of what happens in the episode? And I think I can do it with all of them, but I think I might struggle the most with this one. Yeah, I mean, first off, it was offline, so luckily we've been able to officially canonize that into Down the Hatch, and it makes, it's appropriate given this episode. But yeah, I believe that, uh, I would say, you know, maybe the, the terminology I would use for it is uh, more so replacement level, uh, this idea of like, granted, I think every lost episode is its own unique animal, but I feel like this is the episode that if you sort of struck it from the record, again, to go back to court parlance, Maybe outside of the final scene and the reveal that Sun is pregnant, I don't know how much you're particularly losing from this episode. Granted, I do not think this sure, is a not at all. bad episode it's a by any episode. stretch of the imagination, but I feel like yeah, but I think if again if we're going back to this this well of pacing that comes with season two, this falling right after maternity leave, I think is is very interesting because these are two episodes that I think touch upon elements that were existent in season one, obviously one being Claire's uh, height yachtis from her time in 815 crew, the other one being Jin and Sun's continuing soap opera-esque marriage, but it sort of stuck here amongst the riveting, delicious, as delicious as a nice sugary cereal morsel that is the Henry Gale of it all, just makes for some really interesting pairing. And as a result, I do um, unfortunately feel like this is one of these episodes where I think the the A plot and the B plot, I guess, by proxy with the flashback, is definitely less remembered and certainly less fondly remembered than what so happens a couple in of that things. Hatch. First of all, the ending of this episode is a next level ending for Lost. Uh, when, when we did our very mm-hmm. first episode of Down the Hatch and we previewed the format, and man, we really stuck completely to the format. Oh, tried man, and true. Tried and a few true. modifications here and there, but there are ways in which we've done it uh, pretty close to the letter. Um, we we talked about uh, we talked about the whole truth's ending. We talked about the the Henry Gale ending uh, of of God any more milk? Uh, do you guys have any milk? Uh, and it's it's just such a memorably tense scene, and that's unforgettable. But I think. There, there have been times where I've forgotten where did that fall and lost. Uh, like I know it's in this little, you know, mid to late season two area where the 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 is he or isn't he of it all with Henry. But I don't know that I would have always been able to say it's the whole truth. I think the way to remember that for me moving forward, much in the way that Steve's leave and Scott is dead, is instead of thinking of this as the whole truth. It's the whole milk. Oh, I was going to say, if we remember this as the episode where Bernard forgets Rose's birthday, call this the whole (laughs) whole tooth in honor of the The dentist. The whole tooth. The whole tooth. Well, now that'll help me remember more of the storyline of the whole truth. But that's that's the thing is that it's it's not that it's a bad episode by any stretch of the imagination. It's a it's a really good episode. And I think it's actually uh, a really strong Anna Lucia. Oh, yeah. 
Um, it almost feels like this should be an Ana Lucia flashback. I mean, I would argue this it's, might be from a character standpoint, from a, I guess, if we're skewing like bad, good on the D&D morality scale, this is the most good Ana Lucia episode, considering there are not, for the first time, many glaring mistakes that she makes in an episode when she's the focus. No, she ma- she makes a lot of great decisions. Uh, she she gets the map out of uh, out of Henry. Uh, she takes it to to Saeed instead of uh, you know bothering Jack and Locke, who are too busy bothering Locke and Jack. Uh, it, I I love it when like a ragtag motley crew goes into the jungle. You'll find that that tends to be one of my favorite things on Lost, and I, and I, I enjoy. Give me a, a Jack, Locke, and Sawyer expedition, but those are like alpha types. Mm. Give me like a, a random hodgepodge squad of of Saeed, Anna, and Charlie going through the jungle, <laughs> and that's going to be really fun for me. Uh, there's the episode, uh, it's probably uh, considered, though I don't think that it is, the weakest of the Desmond episodes is Catch-22, and that's him, it's Desmond, it's Charlie, it's Hurley, and Jin in the jungle. That's so fun. That kind of stuff is just really, really fun for me when you get those character combinations on these sort of like adventure-centric storylines. So the whole truth has a good amount of that. That stuff is all really fun. It's just, I think for me, I, I do have a hard time sometimes like remembering where, uh, like how the Quan story maps to a certain yeah. extent of like on on an on-island level. So like for the whole truth, like I, I kind of get a little bit jumbled of what's going on on the island there. Um, other episodes that are that are of this ilk for me of like, I think I could tell you what what happens in that episode, but it, w- it would take me a minute to just like kind of scratch my head and then recite it. Par Avion is actually on that list. I would oh, say Josh, the, the flashback in season three. You know, it's another one that has an excellent ending. That's Jack playing football with Tom. Um, but DOC is another Quan episode, yeah. and like. I would struggle a little bit to remember exactly what goes and I, and on. And I believe in that, that is the, sort of like the spiritual sequel to this episode, right? Because this is when Juliet, I think, finally confirms to Son that Jin it's is the father J- instead, of, instead right. of Jay Lee, the chaotic evil of the Lost Universe. Yes, and then Jin dances around on stage to Guile's theme from Street Fighter. <laughs> uh, so there's that. There's there's a couple along the way, but like I don't think any as as pointed for me as the whole truth. Which is a shame, because I think it actually is a really, really good episode. Um, not like an overly strong episode, but like a totally, totally solid episode of Lost Season 2. Um, so a lot to get into. A lot to get into here. Um, shall we Shall we jump yeah, right exactly. in? Yeah, exactly. Let's not uh, put the cart before the horse here. We've been shaving long enough, Josh. Let's finally get out of the bathroom and start this thing. All right. Yeah, my pores are all opened up, so let's hop and, into And I believe we actually start one. in the bathroom, do we not? <laughs> We we do. Uh, we we start with like it's like Sun and Jin are about to get hot and heavy. Uh, they both just look fantastic. Mm, oh my god! Not to not to thirst too hard here, but both of these human beings just look incredible. I mean, listen, we're gonna we're gonna moment. end the episode very literally thirsty with the cereal of it all. I think it makes sense that we start it, but yeah, I mean, this is they're about to you know eat some enchiladas if you get what I'm talking about. Uh, though it has its own sort of motives behind it as Jin totally ruins the mood with like the let's make sure your temperature's right so that you know we'll be able to conceive I will also say as we sort of segue into this first episode this is a very complicated episode for both Jin and Sun spoiler alert I think that's going to reflect in our in our 23 points that I feel like this is one of the first Quan episodes 
where it feels like both characters have moments where they're in the right and in the wrong. And it's a very more nuanced portrayal than even we've seen in something like House of the Rising Sun or Ooh in translation. And Yoon Kim always puts in great work, but I feel like this is a standout episode for Daniel Day Kim. And not just because he looks stunning when he's shirtless in bed, but even Daniel Day Kim talks about this in the uh, in-location uh, featurette on the DVD for this episode, that this is one of the hardest episodes he's ever had as an actor, because there's just so many sides of Jin over the course of this episode. And some are not so great, but I really want to just blanket statement here at the top that I think he does a really, really great job here. You know, he has he has a lot of fertile ground that he can obviously pull plants out of over the course of this series, but this might be an all-timer for me as an episode for Jin. He's really, really, he's just, the acting is really terrific in this episode, but he's also a major jerk in this episode. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we'll have to talk that through because it starts here where it seems like they're, they're about to have like a very romantic evening and Jin just like sucks the air out of the rooms. Like, so did you take your temperature? Everything good? You know, is that, are you all set? She's like, oh, this is romantic. This is great. This was supposed to be a nice evening. Uh, they've been trying to have a kid for about a year. Um, and Jin thinks maybe they need to go to a fertility doctor because it's not happening. Uh, and it gets it spirals into this huge fight with Sun uh, uh, blaming it on Jin and the job, and Jin being like, don't blame it on me and the job. He's like, yeah, but you, you show up at home with blood on your hands, and you're a bad and person. And he said, well, you should have stayed behind in the scene like the audience did in Uan Translation. You would have seen that I don't feel good about yeah, it. Yeah, though, though it seems like... More and more, and it sort of started with this sink scene, right, that we just talked about, that it seemed like more and more Jin's idea of, like, no, I'm going to, you know, keep Sun in the dark about what I'm doing for her father because I want to protect her. That's slowly eroding, like, enamel, where he's basically said at this point, like, hey, you know what, I have blood on my hands because of your father, basically telling her, like, hey, your dad's making me do not-so-good things. And Jin, obviously, again, coming at this from a very aromantic angle— here by basically saying, hey, the, the reason why I want a baby is that your father might put me in a, a protected position, so therefore I won't do as many things. Not, hey, I want a baby because, you know, I want to move on to this next setup of our relationship with you. Like, this is the thing I've wanted for more than anything. It's like, hey, I'm looking for a job change, so I don't have to beat up as many people and take their dogs. So a baby would probably help. Yeah, maybe he'll just make me a stay-at-home dad. Uh, well, this fits with the guy that's going to let himself die rather than go home and raise the kid, right? Well, you know? I also think that if, if he really thinks this happened, he would not. He does not know Mr. Pake. Because I feel like when, once Mr. Pake has like a tried and true heir, male heir, he's going to kill Jin off, in oh, my yeah. opinion. Like, yeah. Jin is just out of the picture, not needed. He basically brought Jin in despite his class position in life because he was like begging and scraping and he could use the extra body. He is definitely going to like incept you know, if Jay Lee turns out to be a boy or whatever they decide to name the boy, like, into his community and say, yeah, we don't need Jin anymore. I'm going to raise this kid to be my next assassin. Yeah. Uh, or if not his next assassin, then, like, a successor at the company, even. Uh, like, I think that there's there's a lot of potential there. I think that that's a, that's a fascinating look at uh, what could have been. Um, I think that, again, like, I think a lot of untapped potential in the Pig storyline, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I will all... I will all- I would also say a really cool sort of recurring motif from a cinematography perspective is the first shot, as I mentioned, is Sun looking in the mirror at herself. I don't know if you noticed this, Josh. There's a lot of shots this episode of Sun's reflection. 
uh, whether it's like her in the window at the hotel, her looking in herself, you know, in the reflection before getting in the elevator, particularly affiliated with the flashback scenes. I think it's just a, this cool thematic idea of like Sun taking a good look at herself as a person because and Damon talks about this in the in the in location featurette that he almost feels like in season two, Jin and Sun swap expected positions from where they started season one. Like he says specifically that uh you know Jin Sun's dynamic started as the abusive husband slash docile wife and he says that flip-flops by the end of the second season. And so if the point of this episode is honestly for us to see Sun in a different light than maybe we initially thought when we saw her in season one, bringing up this idea of a mirror and having her truly try to look at herself and the ramifications of her actions. It's it's a really interesting warp on the character that I have not initially seen over the course of season two until Damon brings it up here. Yeah. Oh, man. Ugh. So much happening on Lost. What a, what a rich show, Mike. Well what, well, what do you think about this idea? And we'll obviously get into it when it's revealed. Not revealed, but it'll be revealed in a future episode. But that son, you know, obviously doesn't realize or think that Jin is the father of her child. I mean, do you sort of, are, are you sort of co-signing Damon's idea here of both flip-flopping the power positions of Jin and son and how that, if does that work for them both as characters? I think she's not ready to tell him the whole truth. They're stuck on this island. What would be the like if things seem like they're like getting better between them, uh, and you know things were very bad between them. And as far as Sun knew, this was a guy who was going around killing people. I don't begrudge her falling in love with somebody else. I don't at all. I t- I, I I hold nothing against Sun for what was going on with Jay Lee. She was already planning to escape as drastically as leaving for America. Um, but those days are done and she's falling in love with Jin again here. Um, and they have no idea when they're going to be able to leave. That is what they call in the business a future problem, right? Like this is like, there is no... That's a very that's a very loaded term in Lost's part as well. <laughs> there is no utility to telling Jin in this moment, by the way, I don't think this is your child. Uh, especially if his reaction to it is, it's a miracle, right? Like if his reaction mm-hmm. to it is like, Oh, well, it's a miracle. Like, maybe she was prepared to go all the way and tell him the full truth. Um, but uh, it, it shakes out the way that it does. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know if it's something that, like, she takes delight in with any sort of power dynamic by any stretch of the imagination. I just think, like, there's no good reason to get into this right now. Right. So, that that's the thing that I'm more intrigued by. Because I agree that I think the choice she makes is more emotional than this idea of as damon is sort of alluding to of like now she's the one who holds all the cards much like we initially thought Jin did it was sort of weird that it was painted that way from a status you know dynamic but like you said the whole kwan story is very interesting and ebbing and flowing obviously we're also sort of counting down the, the episodes until they get separated for an interminable amount of time so maybe that's just sort of like a breadcrumb leading to that unsavory house of okay we're going to decide to warp the dynamic between sun and jin though from our perspective i think that is more pragmatic and less power-based meanwhile on the island sun is at the garden and jin is not thrilled about it and jin is like classic old school jin about it he's furious that she's here she got kidnapped here she is not scared he's very scared she loves the garden. He hates the garden. He starts ripping all the bushes apart, and all of these garden people are screaming in agony. Ah, oh, no! 
Where are the ghosts? Yeah, and my Michael's island? just shivering in the corner, like, oh god, if Jin knew it was me, yeah. he'd beat me down like he did when I saw his his father in law's watch. Uh but he like rips all the, the, the plants out and goes, Shall we go back now? What a dick move. Yeah, he might as well have like salted the earth while he was at it. I, I <laughs> just like take a we, dump on it. Like yeah. no, that would fertilize the garden. But, but like, we're, it's we're just ba- crazy. We're back in the garden here, and clearly the reason why Jin is so aggro here is because this is where Sun was kidnapped, and he's very concerned that like she would put herself from his uh, perspective like out in the open again. I feel bad for Sun that nobody is like announcing their appearance now. Like she's clearly very jumpy when people are crashing through the brush like Jin did because that's how she got kidnapped. Is nobody doing her the 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 service of being like, hey, just so you know, it's me, Jin. Don't be scared. I'm coming. Don't worry. It's not me, a kidnapper. Yeah, maybe there should be some sort of announcement system. It, well, I mean, speaking of the next scene, I think we figured out who would be the best person at that announcement system. It, you know, just give like uh, give the high ho. I think as you're as you're coming through. Um, all right, so that that all goes down, and that really sets us up for Sun and Jin to be at odds throughout the episode, especially as Sun is starting to not feel great. Um, meanwhile, at the beach, Anna Lucia in full sprint. Uh, running like the devil's chasing her, uh, as yeah. they say. So, Josh, obviously you and I uh, have based it a bit in Survivor as well. I never get this with, like, island-based survival shows as to why they feel the need to exercise at a certain point, whether it be Coach Chi or Anna Lucia sprinting. Yes, you do now have a big bastion of food, but I feel like you are wasting so many calories that can be used elsewhere why do you need to drop into a dead sprint to get back home you train you're staying fit you're staying fit it seems like she's exercising uh i'm not a runner mike but i am uh, meant to understand that running on the beach it's a great way to cure a hangover uh so maybe she's had uh tequila and tonic uh the night before that she has to run off Ooh, maybe this was some uh unseen like canoodling with sawyer before two for the road if you know she's able to get stuff from the liquor cart even, you know, the, the whole thing about she's running in her jeans, like, what is she supposed to run in? She's going to borrow shorts from somebody? She killed Shannon. No one wants to talk to her. Uh, you make you make cutoffs, Josh. Yeah, but the, you're going you're gonna to destroy your jeans just to have running shorts? They're still going to be denim. I mean, listen, you're on the island. Like, the, the, the climate, I feel like, is not necessarily uh j- fully gene worthy like even when it rains what if it's cold a- at night mike and now your jeans are jorts and you're shivering in the dark i mean that being said now she's gonna be sweating in jeans the entire day yeah the whole thing it's it's tough though she's got no friends although maybe she's about to make a friend because she runs back from the beach and she's going back to her tent and a creepy old man is waiting for her. And <laughs> Eating a banana. <laughs> and let's listen in on this banana etiquette from John Locke. You were running like the devil's chasing you. Maybe he is. Good for you. Keeping in shape. What do you want, Locke? What do I want? You've been here over a week. You've never said two words to me. Now you're sitting outside my tent? We got a man locked up down in the hatch. There's a possibility he's one of them. The others. Who's we? Me and Jack. He's keeping watch right now. How long has he been down there? Three days. I'd like you to talk with him. 
you have experience with the others. You were a cop. Seems to me you're the most qualified to figure out if this man's telling the truth. Does Jack know you're coming to me with this? We got a serious problem, Anna Lucia. All of us. I'm taking the necessary steps to solve it. I don't need Jack's permission to talk with you because right now there's a man sitting in a room in my hatch. And I want him out. Okay, want so him Jack, out. <laughs> I want I want to sort of play like information web here cuz I'm still trying to figure out like who knows that Anna's a cop? Because right. Anna told Saeed and I believe Saeed told Jack, right? That's why Jack approached Anna about it. Do we assume that Jack told Locke? Did Locke find out on his own? How does Locke know that Anna Lucia is a cop? Yeah, it could be. Th- I mean, he and Jack are spending a lot of time together. Maybe there's some idle chit chat as they're just like sitting around in the hatch. It's like, so what's Anna Lucia's deal? Ugh. Well, she's a cop. Ooh. And Locke says, oh, oh, great. I'll be right back. I'm yeah. going to get a banana. Yeah, just one second. Just need to. <laughs> it's like, Jack, do you know if we have any cops? Like, are there any cops in the crew? Because I would love. Why do you need to talk to a cop? Nothing. No reason. Just, no, no reason. Listen, I used to work on a pot farm. I'm just naturally afraid of narcs. So I yeah. just need to know. Just keeping an eye out. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, John Locke's my boy. I love Terry O'Quinn. I love this character. A big piece of why I love this character is because he fails so often because he is a victim of mm. his own weaknesses, his own frailties, um, even though he is always like he's kind of like circling the drain of the right thing. It's very hard for him to to needle that, uh, to, to thread that needle, to needle the mm-hmm. thread would be. I don't know if that's easier or harder. Um, he, this is. It's good that he gets Anna here because Anna is going to be able to basically put the wheels in motion to get the truth from Ben, right? But the but the why he's doing it, it is truly because he has this Jack complex right now. Yeah, uh, he has this purpose complex right now, uh, where he it was all about destiny and he's been stuck in the hatch and he's been doing the thing in the hatch, and now this guy that he cannot assess the truth on properly is is down here with him. And is starting to toy with him emotionally and is starting to needle all of the weaknesses that that are making themselves more palpable and apparent in John Locke. And he's just had it up to here. And it's it's bad. It's bad business for John Locke. The way that he comes to Anna says, I don't need Jack's permission. It's just, these are bad looks for my guy. Especially because, and I guess we'll find this out later on in the scene when Locke actually brings it up to Jack. Like, Jack bristles a little bit, but of all the people to bring up to Jack of, like, let's bring them in, I feel like Anna Lucia is top of that list, right? Considering that Locke's going to bring up later, like, yeah, you want to start an army against the others, we might have another here. I feel like if you just told Jack ahead of time, Jack would be like, yeah, okay. Okay. Why don't you you go talk to her? Like, this Uh, is the first thing we've been able to agree on for a very long time. Exactly. Like, and I think that maybe this is also a bit of, despite Locke sort of having this weird relationship with Echo, maybe a bit of him going tit for tat with Jack bringing Echo in without his permission at, at a certain point. But yeah, this feels like an unnecessary choice on Locke's end. But to your point, I think it tracks completely with his character at that point, which let's remember, you know, Henry Gale's words are still reverberating in his head of, you know, do you want to be the Hemingway or the Dostoevsky? And he's trying to create his own shadow at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, he's making a making a mountain out of a molehill here uh, for, for John Locke. Uh, 
meanwhile, uh, Sun is is not feeling great. She's a little lightheaded. And I don't know if it's like a physical symptom or if it's just the stress of being so close to Rose and Bernard who are having a domestic dispute. Uh, they're bickering about something and it comes to light that it's frickin' Bernard has forgotten Rose's birthday. Uh, I mean, to be fair, uh, Rose did not show Bernard the very nicely painted calendar that's on display at 815 camp. So that has everyone's birthdays on it that Hurley made from the manifest. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, it's still bad. That's your wife. You should know her Rose, birthday. I don't know what day of the week it is. I don't know if a week is seven days or nine days at this point on the island. Well, he, so they were gone from each other for, you know, uh, more than a month, like a month and a half almost, right? And, uh, I think a month and a half. And, like, he had to know, like, oh, I hope Rose is alive. I hope she's okay. It was almost her birthday. It's got to be her birthday coming up soon. So, like, one of the first orders of business when you get back, if you're Bernard, would be, if you don't already know, if you haven't already been keeping track, it's like pulling the room, being like, does anybody know what day it is, what <laughs> date it is? Because my wife's birthday should have either just passed or it's coming up really soon. And I got to do something about that. This is husband 101 stuff. This is not hard. Well, I think, and also the fact that he's, like, a little indignant here when, you know, he feels like Rose is bossing her around to help him with Sun. Like, clearly he was caught in a mood here. But I do think it's an interesting choice from a character perspective to have the ones to sort of counsel Sun in this moment be the other married couple. Yeah. I kind of wish this was territory we explored more in the episode because now that, you know, Boone and Shannon have both bit the dust, this is the only other group with pre-existing relationships that are on the island together, I guess besides Nikki and Paulo, I suppose. But I, I would have liked to see more parallels between those two couples, but I guess we'll sort of put a pin in the Rose and Bernard until we get into SOS about a month or so from now. Uh, yeah, but it's 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 good because like I, I think the ways in which this episode has uh, Bernard and Rose uh, showing like uh, a relationship that could stand, uh, you know, a few arguments like this and still be in love afterwards uh, I think I think is nice to give you some hope for what's going to happen with Sun and Jin eventually, even if it's looking pretty bad right now. Um, in the past, uh, Sun is meeting up a clandestine meeting with another man. It's the return of Jay Lee. Uh, I guess Jay Lee uh, ran away to America and it didn't work out so well. He came back. Yeah, I do wonder. Well, I guess, you know, a certain amount of time has passed, obviously, because we were depicting last time in Uen found Jin and Sun meeting. Now this is obviously them being hot and heavy in their relationship. But yes, Jay Lee's tryst with Sarah or Cassidy or whatever American woman we think it is ended up ending not so well. So he's back and he's teaching Sun how to speak English. <laughs> yes, this is the origin story, the flashback of how did Sun learn to speak English? English and it's because of Jay Lee uh, and uh, and her her thirst for iced tea. Uh, I would like an iced tea, please. Very good English. Uh, Fantastic. I know that's the first thing that any American wants to hear when someone from a foreign country gets off the plane. Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's good. Uh, requesting an Arnold Palmer would be next level, but iced tea is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think. Do you think Jay Lee like started the lessons with like? american beverages and then like these americans love their beverages so if you start by asking them about a drink you'll worm their way into their hearts and they won't even believe you're from korea yeah maybe uh i i don't know i i i really i 
I know you've called Jay Lee like the 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 evil guy. Like he seems <laughs> like that, but like he seems like the nicest guy. I think Jay Lee is. I think Jay Lee is on the list for me of like one of like the true good guys uh, here on Lost. I mean, sort of. He is also sort of having his own sort of ulterior motives here, right? Where like Sun's like, you know, well, maybe we should stop the list. He's like, no. And it's clear that, you know, he excuses it by being like, well, you have to learn more. But it's clear that he is definitely harboring something for us, that he is coming back around finally to the feelings that she had for him back in that other flashback episode. So it's not like he's out, he's without his own motives. You know, he's not acting completely selflessly here. But I do agree, especially in comparison to the way Jin is treating her in this flashback. Jay Lee is definitely the good guy. I think he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's like... You should tell Jin. He'd be so proud of you. And she'd be like, but what if he finds out how I'm learning it from well, I you? Think, I think I also wonder if Jay Lee's, and maybe this is me projecting, if Jay Lee's like, go tell Jin. He'll be so proud of you. And also he may divorce you so that I can get with you. I don't think so. I get the sense that this is like, it, it's like they had a good friendship. They were clearly like getting along. Uh, in Jay's mind, like they were decent friends, right? And then he was in love with somebody and it worked out a different way. And then it didn't work out for him when he moved away and he came back and son was married. And she came to him with this idea of like, I need to learn English. I need to run away. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah, I totally hang out with you again, son. You were great. You're super fun. He has no idea why she's not telling Jin about the the English lessons. Uh, And so like, he's going to bring that up naturally here. And I think in the process of this, he's starting to see what maybe he didn't have uh, in his heart at the time that they first met. Now he's starting to fall in love. These kinds of things happen, Mike. Uh, I don't know that it's any sort of nefarious plot. I think he just like he's he's fallen he's fallen for Miss Kwan. I mean that's fine, but I guess I think what sort of complicates this from my perspective is the fact that from what we know, Jin still does love Sun. You know, I feel like had this been set up as our textbook, like, she's married to a guy, but he's an absolute jerk. Like, the plot to, like, your typical mid-2000s Renee Zellweger or, uh, or you know, Reese Witherspoon film, then I would understand it. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jin and Son are still in love with one another. That the fact that he is sort of trying to elbow his way into that territory, and granted, he can't help the way he feels, I agree with you. It still feels weird to me because this is still elbowing in on a couple that we not only know, but also know that they have very complex but still very deep feelings for one another. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that's that's life, right? Like, you go through hardships, you come out the other side stronger, hopefully. And you end up splattered on a car. Yeah, you end up splattered on a car or uh, sunk to the bottom of the ocean in a submarine. You know, that's... Ooh, that'd be re- I believe there was a fun cut of the series finale where it was Jin and Son approaching the church and Jay Lee tried to worm his way in there at the end and yeah. they wouldn't let him in. Yeah. Uh, all right. So they're going to keep talking. Uh, they're going to keep meeting because uh, he's like, we could stop the arrangement. She's like, no, 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 no. And he's like, cool, because this is uh, it's good practice for me, too. It's totally about practice. Um, all right. Back at the hatch. Jack is taking a shower and something amazing happens. Let's listen in. Morning, Jack. You couldn't wait until I was done in here? The steam opens up my pores. <laughs> Terry O'Quinn for Gillette Mach 5. That's it. From pores to pores. Uh, it's just that, I, that killed me watching that back. 
it does, and also the like theme opens up my pores I'm going and hunting also, for pores so creepy of Locke, right <laughs> like i don't i don't care what it is i don't care if you're sawyer brushing your teeth before or after you get in the shower like i i just can't imagine even my own wife like standing in the shower standing in the bathroom doing her own business while i'm in the shower maybe that's just a, a personal breach and that's my own thing but it feels strange, especially when you don't know the other person's there. I don't I don't mind. Like, I, I could certainly be, you know, I could share the bathroom with my spouse without, a, without a, an issue as long as everyone is aware of each other. Exactly. As long <laughs> as you're not going to be surprised yes. by walking out and being like, yes. oh, thank you. I used the steam from that time yes. you were standing in the shower yeah. over there to shave. Please knock on the door. Announce yourself. Don't just swing the door open so that I have a heart attack and, like, slip and fall in <laughs> the shower. Please announce yourself. Uh, so that I don't like miss hearing you coming in, and then I turn off the water and I hear "Hello, Josh." Ah, yeah, <laughs> what are you doing? I was just shaving. It's good for my pores. It's just terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. But it's classic John Locke. Uh, like he is uh, a bit of a creep, uh, and like here he is trying to like alpha bro Jack into submission um and uh doing it in like the most awkward way because like he's here he's saying we need new blood we've got the henry problem uh i want to bring anna lucia into the mix you were you were the one who wanted to start an army with her so i figured you'd be on board he's like all right i'll talk to her he's like oh don't worry about that she's talking with him right now this is already happening much like we talked about josh these past few episodes how there always seems to be like a scene that gives a sneak peek into next week is this scene a sneak peek of to how John Locke is going to be super creepy with Anthony Cooper next week in lockdown, but he still has these predilections? No, but I do. I do think that obviously this uh, this is this is this is cool because like Locke is like acting like he's the one in control again when he's really not. He yeah. is very much currently under Henry Gale's thumb. He is very very much at the mercy of Benjamin Linus. Um, and next week's episode will will have his his desperation. Yeah, that, and then next week he'll have his legs under the thumb of Benjamin Linus. Yes, he's he's gonna be he's gonna be wearing that cologne, that stinky cologne, uh, in in a very big way. Uh, so I think that that's the setup. Is the way that Locke is acting here, like he is the guy in charge, um, but he's very much not. Um, it's cool stuff. Cool, 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 cool stuff. Uh, meanwhile, first ever encounter between Anna Lucia and Benjamin Linus. Uh, it's a good scene. Let's listen in. Were you on the plane, too? I was in the tail section. We crashed on the other side of the island. You walked across? All the way here? That must have been fun. It had its moments. So you going to tell me your story, Henry? Why bother? I've already told it to everyone. Jack, Locke, the big black guy that cut off his beard in front of me. Oh, yeah, and my buddy Saeed. You can see how much he liked my story. So how about you try me? I don't mean to be ungrateful, but why are you going to help me get out of here? On the other side of the island, there was this guy with us. I was 100% convinced that he wasn't on the plane. So I dug a hole, and I threw him in it. And what happened? I was wrong. And now he's dead. But good news for you, Henry, I don't make the same mistake twice. So how about you tell me your story? Uh, 
Uh, Josh, Michael Emerson, underrated as Ben Linus comic character. We talked about last time with the, how about you let me go? But I just, I get, I get <laughs> yeah. so much of a laugh at this one about like John, Jack, Locke, the big black guy who cut off his beard in front of me. Cause <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can imagine from his perspective how <laughs> strange that scene was last week. Yeah, but I mean, like he knows that that's Mr. Echo. He's like, oh no got to be really cool this is mr echo heard about this guy seems intense right uh, but imagine you're quote-unquote henry gale this normal guy from minnesota right, who's like yeah right. this big black guy's gonna come in and say like i need to tell you something i killed two of your men by the way i'm cutting off my beard goodbye That's he's just like a strange interaction he's playing the part well he's playing the part really well but i think anna's doing a great job here too i i love mm-hmm. the way that she ta- i mean like um Said is the more uh, is the one who gets more of the credit for being the interrogator, but the way he interrogates is like he knows you're telling the truth because he's like truly forced you to right. do it. Yeah, he's, um, and he's just he's just waiting for you to admit what he already knows. And Anna's going to say when she comes out of the hatch in a little bit that she's like, I truly don't know. So she's not the human lie detector, but from that perspective, it makes her interrogation technique that much more intriguing because you get to see her sort of put the pieces together in the moment. Yeah. Uh, so it's good. It, it's it's really good. It's a really good look for Anna. This is some of Anna's strongest stuff in a long time. Maybe uh, strongest stuff yet, I would say. Um, really, really strong Anna Lucia episode. Um, on the beach, uh, Sawyer is reading, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Who's bringing uh, that as like beach <laughs> reading or what, or whoever was traveling from Australia to L.A. clearly had that in their bag. Like, it is not exactly... Uh, a rag for lack of a better term that is you know akin to something you would read on a breezy vacation do you just get it out of like the hudson news though is it just like an I easy suppose buy? so but yeah. i mean it's it's a fun little piece of irony because uh the person approaching sawyer is not going to be experiencing what margaret experienced in the book for quite some time did her being yeah. pregnant yeah so it's it's gonna be a conversation with son and sawyer Book's predictable, not nearly enough sex, is what he says. The, is, the, that's a really, really <laughs> like it's about a it's about a teenager Sawyer. Please don't allude to that. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Pretty gross. Um, son wants to look through the medical supplies. Uh, may I look through them? No, you may not. Uh, but he's intrigued, and he says, "If you tell me what you're looking for, it's yours gratis. No, no, no must, no fuss, no questions uh, further. Uh, but I do got to know what it is." Uh, and this is when Son says. I need a pregnancy test. And it's a very dramatic dun-dun-dun cut to commercial. So what do you think is Yunjin Kim's tone behind this delivery? Like, is it embarrassed? Is it confident? Is it sad? What What is Sun emoting in that moment when she asks Sawyer for the test? I feel like the direction on the scene was like, all right, so this is an act break. This is a big piece of the rest of the episode. You need to deliver this as if you are hearing dun, dun, dun underneath your words. Uh, Because that's how it's delivered. It's just delivered Mm -hmm. like this is the most like suspenseful thing of all time. Uh, So I, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's underneath the performance. It reads very strangely to me. I need a pregnancy test. Uh, It feels like a line delivery for like attention building moment. Well, that's the thing. I, I feel like, you know, like we have said before that maybe the Jin and Sun stuff is a bit soapy. This probably feels like the soapiest it's been so far, to the point where there is, like, a pregnancy storyline, and we don't know whose baby it is. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's if there's if there's supposed to be, like, um, I'm sure that there is. Like, I'm sure that there is, like, a, a, a feeling of, like, okay, this needs to be 
Sun is embarrassed to say this to Sawyer. She doesn't want to say it too loud. She doesn't want other people to know. Uh, and but, if, only, if only she knew that she's talking to the man who also arranged her kidnapping a few I know. days ago. Yeah, who, look at who she's pouring her soul to, like her biggest secret. Um, so I, I don't I don't know exactly what it is. It doesn't read any way other than just like a little bit hokey TV. Like this is like mm-hmm. this is like a big network TV moment for me. Yeah, uh, it just does not play terribly well. Um, back in the hatch, Anna and Ben are still talking. She has so many questions. Why, if you've been here for all this time, why do you have no beard? I was shaving. I needed something to be normal. She's like, all right, yeah, well, it clears up my pores. It, <laughs> I like to. I only go to the bathroom when I know that the doctor is going to be showering because it <laughs> clears my pores. Um, so she wants the map. Show me the map to the balloon. I want to go to the balloon. Uh, if you if you went back to the balloon to bury your wife, like you said you did, uh, then I'm sure that you know how to get back there. Uh, so draw me the map to the balloon. I'll find it. And if you don't do it, then these people are definitely going to kill you. It's pretty clear that everything that you're fearing is actually going to happen if you can't prove that you're not one of them. Yeah, and this is, you know, I feel like, as we've heard talked about the past couple episodes, the way that people respond to Henry Gale is a great reflection of who they are as a person, where, much like Echo last episode, Anna is quick to interrupt Ben's nonsense, right? Like, Ben starts going on and on, and Anna's like, shut up. This is what I'm going to tell you. Like, they're they're going to really take things out on you even more so, or what you're predicting what will happen if you give me the map. I guess off screen, we'd heard a lot of questions, Josh, about Ben drawing a map. Uh, I was a little surprised by this, but I guess it makes sense from Saeed's perspective that he wants to really prove or disprove his story but uh you know ben really trying to play things up here between the you know shaving is the 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 only normal thing i had in my life and you know i had to go bury my wife by the balloon because it was the closest thing we had to a home again he he's trying to really tug at those heartstrings and we're going to get to a quote later that talks about you know martyrs and prophets ben's really playing himself as the martyr here of like the, doesn't matter what I do, I'm dead already. I'm dying because you people needed someone to take out your anger on. Granted, he's going. it's going to be completely factually accurate, but he's definitely trying to play into that emotional space. Also, on a, a makeup note, I don't know about you, Josh, but when we see, you know, Ben injured for this portion of the season, he has these like two cuts on his lips mm-hmm. that are obviously from his lips being split by Saeed. I always imagine that those kind of look like lip rings, from like a certain <laughs> angle. <laughs> so now I'm imagining like hot yeah. topic Ben Linus, like yes. super edgy with two lip rings. Yeah. So that one time he traveled off island and uh, worked a summer at uh, at Claire's uh, uh, tattoo shop or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like maybe maybe he was the one in Thailand that gave Jack his tattoo. <laughs> oh my god, that's incredible. That's incredible. You know, I feel like Thomas, uh, Claire's baby daddy. Kind of looks like Ben Linus, like a Ooh. young, like a younger Ben Linus. Could it be that that is one of Ben Linus's off-island children? Uh, and Thomas is the son of Ben Linus, which means that Aaron is Ben Linus's secret grandson. Ooh, so then he wouldn't have need to invested all his time in Alex, right? Who isn't even biologically his. He has a grandson. He just hasn't hasn't realized it. Yeah, so uh, that could be interesting, right? And then, like, that makes Jack and Ben are sort of related, or at least they've got a, a relative in common. Yeah, you have to operate on me, Jack. We're family. Yeah. I'll explain to you. It's very complicated. It's very complicated, but your nephew's my grandson. What? I have a nephew? I don't have any siblings. Also, yeah, I well, Claire's your sister. 
I may or may not have been the one to giving you your tattoo. If I put on lip rings, <laughs> would you recognize this face? Yeah. So I think uh, I think we could now officially canonize that. That sounds good. Uh, all right. In the jungle, Hurley is going to run into Sun. She's got the secret pregnancy test in her hands, and Hurley's got the secret Apollo bar in his. Wow. Yeah, I hope. I, I mean, I did not want a reminder of the tree frog storyline in this episode, but I suppose we got one briefly here with Hurley. You know, they're doing their part to start the the road to Dave. Dave's coming up uh, a few weeks from now, so uh, it's a little bit of a Dave tease. We have to we have to dig in deeper to to Hurley's uh, you know problem hoarding the food. Uh, he offers to split the the chocolate bar. She's not interested. I feel like you accept the chocolate bar. You're on a deserted island, and there's a secret chocolate bar, and someone says, hey, do you want to have the secret chocolate bar with me? I think you just say yes. Well, I, I also wonder physically what Sun's doing this, but obviously she's not, you know, uh, puking her guts out like some other pregnant woman might, including my own wife when she was pregnant with my son. But it also might be like she's super anxious as well uh, because she has the pregnancy test. I agree that I think pragmatically, you would never refuse a morsel of food on the island. But at the same time, I think the last thing she wants to do is eat at this point. Yeah, maybe. But it's chocolate! <laughs> maybe she's not into chocolate. I don't know. Like, maybe Australians are to peanut butter what Koreans are what? to chocolate. I don't know about that. Who doesn't like chocolate? Everyone loves chocolate. And that's why we're never inviting Akiva Winnicker on our podcast, right? Yeah, I, the only anti-chocolate person no, we know. No, I, I do know a few anti-chocolate people. I had one, one friend of mine growing up uh, loved candy in a very big way, but hated chocolate. So mm. only like airheads and stuff like that, but like loved that stuff uh, and thought that chocolate was the grossest thing in the world. And look, I've been known to eat an airhead or two, although it's been a long time. It's probably been like 10 years since I've had an Airhead. Uh, but like Airheads over chocolate, that's a crazy take. I agree. Completely agree. And I think chocolate's available in so many more varieties, not to besmirch the various flavors of Airhead, including the uh, ubiquitous mystery flavor. But I feel like chocolate is the way to go over Airheads any day of the week. Yeah, I, I for me... Uh, look, I'm, I'm not one to, to besmirch the, you know, the, the, the fruit snack. The fruit snack has its place. Uh, the fruit snack, like a fruit snack and a chocolate snack combined when, when movie theaters, when we were able to do that. Remember movie theaters, Mike? Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a real win. But if it's just got to be one or the other, if this is like the John John, you can only choose one. Uh, I'll take chocolate over Airheads. So are you saying if Hurley walked out of the jungle and says... Hey, son. Hey, son, uh, you I want got half, an airhead. You want, you want <laughs> half my cherry airhead? airhead? You, <laughs> I shook it up so it's like a little pillow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you could do that, right? I never. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever did that. I know people who did. Yeah, I, I, I used it. to do it. All right, I'm going to get an airhead between now and the next Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a fun thing to do. I mean, it's, it's a wrist workout, so you feel less bad about the calories that you're taking in. But it's, and it's a fun little test in, like, centrifugal force as yeah. well and science so definitely encourage everybody next time you get an airhead in your hands shake up one end just keep shaking 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 and you'll see the airhead slowly sort of culminate into one pillowy surface at the end of it that you can just bite into in a couple of bites instead of having to ruin your teeth and spread it across a few bites and that's the whole tooth the whole tooth exactly i was about to say man we've gone really far off topic 
but actually, we're right on the money. This is going to help us remember the whole tooth. Was also the episode where Hurley offered son candy. And there's the Bernard stuff. Like, I feel like we're coming up with a lot of... I think at the end of this, the whole truth might be the episode of Lost we remember the best. Yeah, because it's the one where we came up with the most non-sequiturs. <laughs> uh, all right. So he, he pieces out and, and son's going to look at the pregnancy test that she got from, from Sawyer. And it's a Widmore Labs pregnancy test. There you go. A little bit of a tease. The, the I mean, I'm Chucky not trusting... Wins is on the way. Yeah, though I'm not trusting Charles Winmore with any of my pregnancy tests any day. I would you know? not want him to have any of my genetic information. Uh, yeah. I don't feel like that's a good idea. Who knows what he is doing with any of that? Oh, yeah. You, I think Charles Winmore would definitely, if he was realistic, like he'd be behind 23 and me, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't know. I don't trust Chucky Wids as far as I can throw him. Um, all right. In the flashback, bad news. Jin and Son are at the doctor, uh, and the doctor reveals there's some scar tissue blocking Son's fallopian tubes. Even with surgery, the odds of conceiving are impossible. And Jin uh, is ripshit. He's furious. Uh, and he's like, you must have known about this. How dare you, Son? And Son goes, oh, yeah, no, I did. I was just trying to lure you in, trap the son of a fisherman. Uh, which is a great idea for a Lindelof, by the way. She's the son of a fisherman. Like that really. <laughs> the only man it, so. who could wash blood off his hands. It's the son of a fisherman. <laughs> yes, he was. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, good. I mean, so yeah, Jin is obviously very emotionally distraught here. Like almost immediately when doctor t- the doctor mentions the endometriosis, you could see Jin take his hand off of Sons. Like he has stopped caressing her. He stopped being supportive of her because he immediately snaps. And turns on her. He throws the files in anger. I will also say, knowing in retrospect how Dr. Kim, uh, not Daniel Day Kim or Yunjin Kim, but Dr. Kim in this episode, knowing that he is lying about all this, putting in a pretty good performance. Like, this doctor went to medical school, not acting school, but he's doing a pretty good job of putting up a ruse in front of a very, very angry man. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I guess it's a good acting job of the doctor, but, like, this is, this is really bad. This, yeah. This is, this is an uncool thing to do. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think even he would admit that is that like this is he put so much stake in having a child, whether it was from an emotional perspective or from a an employment based perspective that him not, you know, when he finds out it's not possible, he lashes out. And I think, unfortunately, he's lashing out to the one person that he is doing all of this for. It's an absolutely terrible look. I can understand it from the character's perspective, but it does not excuse his actions whatsoever. Yeah. Uh yeah I I agree I agree but uh, every time I see that I'm like ah it's no good that's really yeah like like you said before this is really like especially like the first two thirds of this episode is really season one Jin and if we've been talking about characters like Sawyer and Charlie arguably going back to their own season one forms this is more of a, a retroactive movement to me and it's probably because it takes place in the past all right let's go back to the hatch let's listen in real quick actually as Jack and Locke are going to see what Anna has to say about everything that's going on with Henry Gale. Coming out. Okay, so she's coming out of the hash. She's <laughs> so, coming out. It's her favorite Again, thing to she, say. She has, she has an, an announcement method down, unlike everybody else. It's also a fun little comparison, though, to the first time that we coined this phrase on the podcast when she's coming out of the hold. Like, in both cases, she was doing a bit of, like, undercover investigatory work. So maybe that's her own little, like, codified signal of the investigation is therefore over. I'm coming out of cop Anna mode. Yeah. Uh, so she's she's coming out. She's coming, she's coming back. She's talking and saying, like, let's give the guy more time. He told me the same thing he told all of you. Let's give him another day. I want to talk to him tomorrow. 
uh, Jack, as long as that's okay with you. And Jack, who's like annoyed by this whole thing, is like, Anna, I would have told you eventually, but I didn't tell anybody. Like, I haven't told anyone. And it's like, it's cool. Don't worry about it. Uh, like, I, I enjoyed that little interaction between the two of them there. Yeah, well, especially because we really haven't seen anything come of this after the long con. You know, now that we're done with the army storyline, which again still feels like a bit of a dead end, it's nice to eventually glance upon these relationships, especially because we are sort of looking at the ticking clock when it comes to Anna Lucia before Two for the Road. So we're going to take any sort of brief, you know, dalliances with these various relationships as much as we can get. Um, so she's going to leave. Everyone's like, all right, she'll, she'll talk to them tomorrow. Uh, and uh, then we're going to get the scene that we heard at the top of the podcast. Anna's coming to Charlie and Saeed, really coming to Saeed, but uh, Charlie gets roped into it because he knows. He knows the deal. Uh, Yeah, so this is interesting, and again, maybe this goes back to my own little gripes with the ending of one of them. I still don't know how I feel about... Like, I can understand why, of all the people out there, Saeed and Anna would be the most fine with, like, yes, Charlie's been doing some bad things, but we've done bad things as well, so let's let him in on our plans. But there's something about him like doing projects around camp to everyone's, I'm assuming, agreement or at least like being fine with it that rings hollow to me. Considering it does this not man, stay? no, I mean this guy kidnapped, like took a baby. They in, in broad nightlight uh, a few weeks ago. Like I would at least, if I was there, I'd give him a little bit of pause. If Rossi, Rodney Sesto was there and he's like, oh, the baby kidnapper is now just working on a dining room table in front of everybody and is still pretty much ingratiated back into the camp. I would give that a little bit of pause, personally. Yeah, I think if they're letting the Shannon killer uh, walk around through camp, then I think the baby napper uh, is allowed to stick around, too. Especially when it's Charlie and everybody knows him. And, and I, you got to imagine that enough people are like, uh, man, poor Charlie. Like At this point, they got to know, like, the talk of the town is like, there's a recovering heroin addict. This is not good. Don't remember Drive Shaft? He was well, the may- bass player. Maybe last episode, Aaron was crying, was so annoying that they're like, you know what? Maybe Charlie had the right idea. <laughs> oh, brutal, 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 brutal. <laughs> so we're like, we're Team Charlie at this point. But I don't know. It just felt weird to me, especially just given how low Charlie sank in episodes 12 and 13, to have him sort of like part of these B team missions only a few episodes after the fact feels a little bit too quick of a bounce back to me, but maybe that's just my larger issue with the plotting of Charlie's character this season. Well, I think, um, you know, Saeed and Charlie have sort of like this mutual grief in, in common, right? Of Charlie was kidnapped by Ethan and strung up for dead. And Saeed uh, lost Shannon, as he's going to explain to Anna Lucia, not because Anna killed her, but because the others have scared us into killing each other. Uh, so I think that like, as Saeed just like had like, sort of like his explosive experience with um, with the man currently known as Henry Gale in the hatch. Uh, and like that was like, if not quite cathartic, then at least like, you know, he really got something out. And the person that he is confiding in after that is Charlie. Then it makes sense that these two are going to be like a little bit tight together. And Saeed, who has been, as as the MVP points reflect, uh, has sort of been like the shadow leader of this group in a lead by example kind of way. Um, maybe there is this idea of like hanging out with Charlie will help ingratiate him to the rest of the group. If I can help rehabilitate Charlie's mm. image by just showing that like this guy once punched me in the face publicly and I'm still hanging out with him, you know? Yeah, exactly. I also think there's an interesting moment here when Anna Lucia, as you mentioned in the clip, Jack and Locke are a little too busy worrying about Locke and Jack. You I see love Charlie that line. briefly. That's such a good yeah. line. 
it's such a good line and it's such an astute thing as well of like, listen, these guys are just going to keep barking back and forth with one another and not do anything. That's why I took matters into my own hands. But you see Charlie smile there in a brief reaction shot. It's very clear that like any burn against John Locke, he's going to love. And I do love that as a bit of a runner that like anything that has people either shit talking or, you know, trying to make John Locke look the fool. Charlie is he's on in. board with. He's in. He's in. Uh, so you would think that Charlie and Anna are going to be, like, pretty tight after that. But instead, like, it gets a little awkward. They go on the walk. They reach this cliff. That's part of the map. Uh, any commentary on the map that uh, Henry drew, by the I'm, way? <laughs> I mean, it seems like something, like, a parent would come up for their eight-year-old, right? Like, a backyard <laughs> adventure. This is where the treasure yeah. is. It's in the sandbox. Yeah. Like, what did he say? Like, start here, <laughs> mountain, hill, balloon, the, the <laughs> island's full of these things. Like, good on good on these people for actually being able to find the damn balloon given those extremely vague instructions. I'm assuming that's yeah. why Ben purposely made them vague, right? Like, I'm not sure how much he actually wanted to send them there because obviously, you know, he he might have a little inkling of an assumption that they would dig up the real Henry Gale and completely disprove his story. I, th- I think he knows that it's a risk. But I think he also must figure, like, I got to give them something. I have to show them the balloon. And then if I show them the balloon, then I can infiltrate them further. They will be like, all right, he's who he says he is. And then, like, he'll start, like, showing signs of, like, medical distress. And then being like, Jack, my back. Oh, there's something wrong with my back. Could you? I don't know if you could just, like, look at my back. <laughs> you know, like, I think something like that. Yeah, you so take me to... Like, it's, it's a roll the dice type of move. How crazy are these people to find out if I'm one of them? Is Saeed really going to... And he doesn't know that Saeed is going. And maybe he assesses Ana Lucia as not savvy enough to go digging underneath the balloon for the body. Um, Also, like, maybe he shouldn't have, like, said that that's where he buried the body. Uh, If there was a body to be found there, maybe he should just say, like... uh, yeah, I threw her body out to sea. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I gave like, her a Viking funeral. <laughs> I, I ate her. I'm so yeah, sorry. I it was ate the, her. It's part it was, of my trauma. It was, the, it was the only thing that could bring me closer to home was eating my wife. You ate her? Where are her clothes? I ate those too. Everything. I'm a clothes eater. There I are... was hungry. It was two months. <laughs> There's literally no trace of her. She's I ate the bones. Gone. I ate the toenails. I ate it all. I ate it all. All of it. The whole thing is gone. What, what, what'd you look? My teeth really hurt because I got all of her food stuck in my teeth. I what, need to you see learn? a dentist. It's the whole tooth. What'd you learn in there, Saeed? He ate his wife. <laughs> he ate his wife. <laughs> Uh yeah, so he should have said that and then should have told them about the balloon. They're like, oh, well, there is the balloon. Uh, so I don't And know. his wife is up there because he <laughs> ate her. Because he ate her. There's no side of her. Uh, so story checks Except out. you know what's going to happen. Saeed's going to kill somebody and be like, go ahead, eat him. Eat, yeah, prove to- yeah, prove to me that you can do it again. <laughs> yeah, but it's Ben. He would do it probably, you know. <laughs> Well, I suppose if I got any milk. (laughs) Yeah, he might have a hard time, like, can we uh, boil some of this leather? Like, I think he'd have a hard time (laughs) with the clothes. Uh, But I think he would would be game to to do it. Please, Um, eat his shorts. (laughs) Eat my shorts! (laughs) That's what it is! We don't even have to kill anybody. (laughs) Saeed takes his shirt off. (laughs) Go ahead, eat 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 this right now! (laughs) He's like, well, but won't you be cold without your tent on? I'll just get another worry about it i'll find another one or mr echo your shirt's falling off can we get this 
Well, yeah, maybe maybe Mr. Saeed gives Mr. Echo's little beard hairs to Ben. Yeah. Go ahead. I know you could eat the beard hairs. Yeah, and then what if Ben eats them? And he's like, mmm, delicious. And they're like, oh, God, he might be telling the truth. All right, uh, I guess we'll have to let him go because he ate Saeed's shirt and Mr. Echo's beard. The dumbest thing. Anyway, so that's clearly what he should have done if he didn't want to get caught. Uh, <laughs> 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 what's going on what's i should notice at the point that we said this podcast went way off the rails was like about 30 minutes before we suggested that ben should have said that he uh, ate his wife yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so they reached the cliff they found the cliff all right we're on the right track and it goes hey at least it means we're on the right island and Sai doesn't laugh and charlie says eh, humor is not his strong suit and i'm saying this to you uh, and he keeps walking, and Anna's checking him out. Checking him out. Uh, and Charlie says, are you looking at my bum? And she says, no, I'm looking at your gun. Uh, because he's got a gun tucked into his Ugh. shorts. So we assume that this was, what, was this part of Charlie's deal with Sawyer, was that he could sort of, like, abscond with one gun from the stash? I think it probably isn't so much part of a deal, so much as, like, maybe Charlie has some element of, like, clout with Sawyer. If he goes up to Sawyer, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm off to do a thing. Uh, I gotta. I need a gun. You're not gonna want to. It's like a, a real significant hike through the trek. You're not gonna want to go. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, I definitely don't. I've done a lot of that recently. Yeah, which, Here's by the gun. way, and son's pregnant, so I want to really hang on to this story yeah. instead of going off into the jungle. Yeah, he's giving him the gun. He's like, by the way, do you know son's pregnant? Uh, it's like, yeah. Oh God, don't you feel so much worse about what we did? Uh, so Charlie uh has the gun, and Anna says, give it to somebody who knows how to use it. Uh, it's like, oh, hey, well, remember how you used this to kill our friend Shannon? Uh, and Sai's like, that's enough. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, and also, and also, Charlie uh, did not have does not also have the best track record when it comes to getting a no, gun. No, he doesn't. He doesn't give it to Sai. Sai's absolutely the right person to give it to. The yeah. way Charlie does it is so petty. Uh, oh yeah, he he holds it out to Ed and then does a fake and hands it back to Saeed, but also like holding it very daintily by the by the yes, barrel as well. Yes, yes, and like keeping his eyes on Anna the whole time as he like holds the gun out to her. She reaches for it and then he passes it over to Saeed. Yeah. So uh, spo- spoiler so alert: Char- petty. Charlie's not going to get an LVP point here, but he was very close in my opinion for being such a petty Betty this See, episode. In- interestingly, I I I would have uh, considered giving him an MVP point this week. Uh, I think because it's a he's good, a petty Betty. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good Charlie rebound episode, actually. Uh, like I, th- I think that there's, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to give him one, um, but I can see the argument for giving Charlie an MVP this week because I think mm. he's, he's really funny. He's uh, he's brought on this mission. He gives the gun to Saeed. It's good that Saeed has a gun. Uh, so uh, I think I think Charlie's doing well this week. It's interesting because Charlie's acting like a petty Betty and Anna Lucia is a petty Letty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So fast. So furious that I almost missed the reference. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, Sun has confided in Kate. Uh, Which is Kate- good. It connects, connects back to Ooh and Found, right? When she confides in her about the wedding ring and the bottle. Sun and Kate are tight. So she's going she's gonna to go to Kate. She knows Kate can keep a secret. Uh, and so they're, they're gonna, she's going to take the pregnancy test. Uh, and, and Kate's like... Who flies with a pregnancy test anyway? Where did Sawyer find one? It's like, what the, it's not the pregnancy test shame anybody. Yeah, don't judge people. Some people are r- riding with a pregnancy test. Some people are riding with, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Well, let's, Some let's, people- let's not question the baggage. Some people have fireworks. Exactly. Some people have a lot of creepy dolls. <laughs> Some people have a briefcase filled entirely with boomerangs, apparently. Like, yeah, and, and some people have a marshal that they have to travel with. Okay, Kate, we all have our baggage. Yeah, who knows if somebody didn't check in a bag 
filled with pregnancy tests. Oh, they could be smuggling them. Maybe Winmore's factory is based in Australia. And that's what they're smuggling. You just get a good discount there in Australia. Uh, duty-free. Uh, so she's taken the test. She's pregnant. Uh, the, the, the test is confirming it. Um, but the, the way to, to be 100% sure is to consult the doctor. So we're going to talk to the doctor, pay the doctor a visit. Good scene with Jackson and Kate. Let's listen. Let's listen. These tests are pretty accurate. I mean, you're false negative in the first week, maybe. But positive is a positive. But it's impossible. Oh, no, it's possible. <laughs> you feeling queasy, lightheaded? Please, Jack. This is private. Nobody can know. You're not going to tell Jin? In time, I will. It's just... It's complicated. As complicated as Jin being the last one on the island to find out you spoke English? Son, my advice, and, and it's just that, because I'm the last person to ask about this, but you should tell him. And when you do, you should tell him everything, the whole truth. I'm going to get back to the hatch. Congratulations, son. He said it. He said the line. He did. It's the whole truth. That's another way that we can remember what happens in this episode. Jack says the line, the whole truth. <laughs> It'd be very complicated if he said it in a different episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the whole truth. Uh, it's so exciting. Mazel tov to, to son. And even Jack and Kate are able to have some semblance of peace, even though Kate then tries to like segue the conversation away from everything. Like, so what's up in the hatch? Is everything okay? At least Jack is like able to like talk to her like a quasi-human, right? He's like, right. yeah, sure, everything's in fine there. Exactly. My, fine. Though I think Sun's a bit of a buffer there as well. Uh, I mean, I think Jack's choice of uh, phraseology is interesting. Like, we know that Sun speaks English. I don't know if Jay Lee taught her to speak Hebrew mm-hmm. when it comes to knowing what Mazel Tov means. Yeah. Does he actually say Mazel Tov? I, oh, I, I don't. Maybe he I don't did. I don't so. know. I, I, I thought that he did. So. Maybe, maybe it's a bit of a Mandela effect. I think. I think it's just that I, I have in my notes Mazel Tov, uh, and so I read. I said Mazel Tov, uh, and maybe now we're saying like, can you imagine Jack Shepard saying Mazel Tov? Like that just doesn't <laughs> seem like a line that's going to come from Jack Shepard. Um, all right, so there's a flashback, and Sun is, uh, you know, she's very pensive and she's thinking back on everything and jay lee is like why are you why are you so nervous what's wrong what's going on uh and it's because uh she's she's gonna run away learning english to to run away uh we were gonna have a kid jen and i but we can't and we thought maybe that would save everything but it won't so i'm out of here i'm peacing out uh and jay's like don't run away from your life it's not the it's not the it's not the thing to do. You can't just run away. But I'm also not saying stay for Jin. Mm-hmm. I'm saying you should start an affair with me. So there's an interesting statement at the beginning of this scene when Sun says, like, basically like, I'm glad I can't have a child. Is it just because that she realized that like if the baby would be the only reason that Jin she and Jin would stay together, that that's not a, a right reason to do it? It was again like a surprisingly bitter sentiment coming from this character but considering the position that she's in and especially like the the temperament which which she takes to the airport at the end of house in the rising sun i feel like that makes a lot of sense yeah i i think like also like um the level like the quality of the fight that she had and like the 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 um like the really disgusting behavior from Jin uh right. in the office of of how he reacts in that moment i think combine that with the fact that she's already um 
both fearful of him and also like, I don't know who you are anymore of him with the blood on his hands and everything that I think it's like, I'm, I'm glad that I can't have Jin's kid. Uh, and this is like a sign to me that like, I, I just need to like my instincts of like learning English so I could leave, uh, were correct. And I do Mm -hmm. need to just like reclaim control over my life. And Jay is basically being like, oh yeah, sure. Reclaim control over your life. A hundred percent. Uh, but do that with me. Yeah, and, and I think I, it's a- I think it's fine. I think I mean I I think like it's it's you know is is it is it great? Is it ideal? No, but in this moment, Sun is clearly not in love with Jin anymore, and she's clearly falling for this guy, and this guy has fallen for her too. Yeah, I think that you know maybe in a perfect world he'd be like, great, let's run away to America together. Like I I know how to navigate that country, but I guess if he is the son of this hotel magnet, it seemed like he was welcomed back into the family with open arms after his tryst. He doesn't want to necessarily ruin that. I think for me, well, I think he's saying like you don't have to blow up your life to change it. Like you don't have to like run away. That's not something that you have to do. Running away is such a drastic move. Uh, of like what you're talking about doing is like completely absconding, severing all ties with your life and your family and vanishing into thin air. Um, you don't have to do that to change your circumstances, what he's advocating for. But I would also say, and I'm not the expert on Korean culture, but I do feel like you know getting divorces, especially when you are the daughter of this big magnet, would kind of blow up your life in a manner of speaking. So I I feel like even the process of leaving Jin would still have significant consequences. So it's almost like she would be making a big reverberation no matter what. It's just rather, it's it's rather her Kate-like mentality of like, let me run away from the possible situation I'm facing right now that Jay Lee is sort of bristling against. Though, again, it might be for a bit of selfish reasons because he happens to be there. From a writing perspective, it's also very interesting to sort of mirror this scene to the first scene of the episode, considering that this scene is vast, vastly in English, with like a couple of exceptions, whereas the first scene is in completely in Korean. And it says that even though Jin and Sun are speaking the same language in the first scene, they're not really communicating with one another. And ironically enough, as Sun learns a new language, she learns to be incommunicado with this guy more so than her own husband. I kind of think that if uh, if Sun and Jin break up and then Sun and Jay Lee uh, become a thing, that everyone's going to be like, oh, that's awesome. Great. Oh, everyone's going to love that. Everyone's going to be really into it. And if they're not, I feel like Jay Lee is like, all right, well, then peace out. We're going to we're going to Markle Harry our way out of this thing. Uh, I was going to say, could it, so is it sort of like a is it like a is Jin the Jennifer Aniston? Is he the Jennifer Aniston here where she's going to get with like a big, big, powerful movie star and everyone's going to be like, oh, I love this couple. And yes, they might be scandalized by what happened to Jin for like a hot second, but then they're pretty much going to disregard him and focus entirely on Sun and Jay Lee. Um, yeah, I, I think that's possible. Also, uh, I do want to say that I just second guessed myself as like. It's Meghan Markle, right? It's not Meghan Merkel. And then I uh, briefly thought about the universe where Prince Harry and Angela Merkel are a thing. Uh, <laughs> My just, God, talk about world peace. Yeah, uh, EU. So I'll, re- I'll remember uh, this episode uh, more <laughs> for, uh, for that, uh, that Jay and Son are like the, the Prince Harry and uh, Angela and Merkel. And Angela Merkel. <laughs> of, of the lost sideways universe. Uh, back on the island... Uh, they're, uh, Saeed and Anna and Charlie are gonna, are gonna set up shop for the night. Uh, and, uh, Anna's gonna settle in next to Saeed for a little bit of a fireside chat. Let's hear about it. 
You mind? You should sleep while you can. Yeah. I can't sleep. People don't like me. I've tried to get them to most of my life. I guess I just gave up a while back. I mean, I am what I am. But you, you got a good reason to hate me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. You're trying to protect your people. It wasn't you that killed Shannon, it was them. And once we find out he is one of them, then something will have to be done. Like forcing him to eat my shirt. <laughs> that's <laughs> as, my big plan punishment uh, uh, who I knew lo- Anna Lucia was such a big Popeye fan I, lo- I love this clearing of the air between Saeed and Anna yeah. great scene really really good scene and again it, it's sort of like we're noticing this small interaction with Anna Lucia because her time is very limited on yep. Lost and I think this is very meaningful like we're talking about these waiting interactions between her finding him to uh or him finding her to, to go out into the jungle uh saying like looking Rousseau is looking for you um so i think there's these two are sort of seeing eye to eye when it comes to their respective trauma when it comes to the others granted again the the weirdly complicated aspect comes from the fact that the history with the others from one character's perspective comes from the fact that the other character shot the love of his life thinking she was an other but he as we talked about in our collision episode he understands what it's like to you know, do something you absolutely regret and the the mental and emotional strife that comes from that. But damn, Saeed looks so menacing when he says that something is going to need to be done about Ben when he's found out. And it's just, it's scary. And this is, you know, Saeed just, when his convictions are about him, that part of Saeed that stated he was a torturer back in one of them comes out. And we see a glimpse of it here in the middle of the jungle. Yeah, um... I, I think it's great because, like, I think this is all of this stuff is like it's it's more important in in the long haul for Saeed as a character that like this is showing him his potential as a human, uh, his his capacity for forgiveness, for empathy, uh, still his like drive for vengeance. He's still very angry, but how he's able to redirect that anger. Um, I just think it's 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 complicated stuff for him. Uh, so so I really like it here. What's also uh, highly enjoyable, and this is something that uh, I do remember very well about the Saeed Anna Charlie scenes together, is uh, that they had. I, I remember every time that they have a scene together where they hash things out, and it's swiftly followed by like a morning after where where Saeed has like 
been awake all night just staring yeah. at Anna, apparently. I mean, his uh, his advice was finally taken by Anna Lucia. She does fall asleep eventually, but it's just been sitting there like a damn rock the entire night. Yeah. Maybe he's, like, falling for her. He's like, well, is this weird? Should like uh, It's a little weird. Yeah, when you fall in love with your previous lover's yeah, killer. This, That's a little like, complicated. Is, is this weird? Is this weird? Is this strange? Could we make a rom-com out of this? That'd be a very dark rom-com. That's if, a dark rom-com. It's a dark yeah, but I, would all, I was also say really interesting uh, introspection from Anna as well, right? Because she, much like Collision, this is one of the only people that she is coming clean with. Uh, coming clean! Coming about, clean! About how she feels about herself. Only previously was her breaking down to Echo in the riverbank in the other 48 days. And I mean, her saying, you know, people don't like her... A little meta, I think. I don't know if the writers purposely did that. I don't know what they felt, if they sensed the reception behind Anna Lucia at that point. But I think it's a bit reflective as to what both the 815 and the audience was feeling about Anna Lucia Cortez at that point in Lost. For sure. Yeah, I think that that's right. Um, it starts to rain, and as it's raining, they find the clearing, but they can't find the balloon. Balloon's supposed to be here. Well, th- the map is bullshit, all right? So like, don't be too, you know... Listen, it's a bad map. Um, so this is where the balloon should be. I'm going to go back. I'm going to feed him my shirt. Uh, and Anna says, no, we, we trekked all the way out here. We can't go back until we search a little bit more. So uh, Saeed says, well, search as thoroughly as you please. Yeah, Saeed's using a Christian Hibiki's breath first search method. I'm like, let's, divide <laughs> yes. up, let's divide up the clearing and hunt for yes, stuff. Yes, yes, yes. The next thing we see is a montage of just the island mapped out and all of its gradients. Um, back at the beach, uh, Jin, who has been uh, like kind of alone this whole episode, uh, we haven't really even talked much about Jin, uh, is by the edge of the beach, and he is going to see Bernard doing some wacky stuff. He and Bernard are going to like kind of have a conversation, and it's going to lead to uh, Jin overhearing a conversation, kind of, sort of. Oh, no, 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 it's not for fish. I, I know. No, no, no. O- oysters. Oyster. Pearl. For rose. Ah, Pearl. Ah. No oyster. No oyster here. Ah, of course not. Why would there be? No, daddy oh. So, yeah. Way to go, Papa San. You didn't waste much time. I'd give you a cigar, Bernie, but I'm fresh out. Son's pregnant? Keep it down there, Susie. I don't think Jen Sr. here knows yet. Yo, oh. So, somebody go. I'm not finished, no. Seal, come on. Oh, I'll ask to shoot. Why am I? Unless, now it's not step. Yes, it's the return of the Lynchian backwards talk. Yeah, I was going to um, say, we, we just briefly crossed back over into Twin Peaks. Sometimes my arms bend back. Uh, uh, but it's, it's, it's a really great effect, and it really gets you in Jin's you know, head of like, I, I, I care about these people. Uh, these are people who, I, who like, I know through like sense and through a lot of different ways of communicating, but there is a, a very specific way in which I can't communicate with them as effectively as I want to, and the only person I can do that with is Sun. Right. Uh, and I mean, just, I mean, it, I, it's I, a very lonely feeling. Yeah, I guess maybe he was making that progress with Michael, 
a little bit considering the bond they were able to make, but he's gone. Uh, Lostpedia actually has the dialogue between Sawyer and Bernard on the beach that was played backwards. So it roughly is along the lines of, and I'll, I'll sort of try to distinguish between accents for the characters. Well, how do you know? Oh, I got my source. Well, aren't you going to tell him that? Not my place. You should tell him. Or, hell no, let Sunshine tell him. So again, as much as we might talk about Sawyer being a bit of a cad at this episode, including in this scene, he at least has the decency to be like, I'm not going to tell Jin directly. Let his own wife wow, and, him. Wow, and Bernard. Bernard's like, spoil the surprise. Get involved. Yeah, though I guess, you know, maybe that's Bernard speaking from his own perspective. You know, obviously it's a complicated medical history with Rose as well, but he'd probably be like, if I was in that situation, I would want somebody to tell me no mm. matter what. So I like the two differing perspectives there. But yeah, I, I feel like... I don't know, maybe I'm talking out of my butt here. This might be the last time we hear the backwards talking effect for Jin, because he's going to learn English pretty quickly in these next couple seasons. Okay, another way that I will remember the whole truth is that this was the episode where when we podcasted about it, Mike was talking out of his butt. Uh, yeah, I was, I was Ace Venturing it the entire time. The, the entire time? The entire time from, wow. from, the, from the jump. Oh, oh my God. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm never going to forget this one. This one I'll remember forever. Um, <laughs> all right, so so Jin is going to go to Sun. She's back at the garden, uh, and he's uh, he's going to apologize. He hates the way that he is. He hates fighting with her. He hates that he can't talk to anyone. He uh, doesn't understand anybody. I need you, Sun. Uh, and Sun is ready to to bring Jin into this now. Uh, she, she tells him she's pregnant. They have a huge hug. It's very 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 sweet. But there's an asterisk, Mike. Oh, and an asterisk at that. I've been talking on my asterisk the entire <laughs> podcast as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, it's tough because, again, Jin has been looked like such a D-bag on and off island this entire episode. But, like, I don't know, maybe from my perspective, but I think it's really tough, given Daniel Day Kim's performance, like, not to really like Jin in this scene. Like, sure, yes, totally. He's, he admits, like, yes, you could read his speech to Sun as like, well, I'm only doing this because I need you to help translate things for me. But I feel like it's a larger speech about how he feels he needs her in his life and not just from a pragmatic perspective of like, you are my conduit, not only to the island, but to the world. And I realize how much I need you in my life in so many ways. And so I realize that I'm fixing a mistake here. And he's replanting Sun's Garden. He serves as her assistant in the next uh, on-island episode between the two of them. So it's clear that he has, again, even if he does take a bit of a dabble into first season Jin, he has moved on as a character in that he knows that when he significantly airs, he needs to, you know, make right on it. And so instead of sort of bristling and being on his own stubbornly so... He's going to do right and replant Sun's Garden. I'm not sure if that's how plants work. I don't know if her garden was absolutely torn apart, no matter what. But no, it's like Toy Story. Once they both left, the plants hopped back in. They're like, oh my god, that was so traumatic. We got a birthday party! It's Rose's yeah. birthday! It's Rose's birthday already! Vic, get to work! Bernard can't find a pearl. We're gonna have to find some. We're gonna have to find the pearl. Maybe there's something inside. Uh, yeah. And by the way, very, I think, very dim of Bernard to assume that oysters are just like proliferous on the island at this point. That you could definitely catch one. But I mean, I, I think the moment where Jin picks up Sun is like very genuinely sweet, and that also shows as well that as much as he may be giving the reasoning in these first scenes, like, well, we should have a kid so that I'll be put in a safer position. It's very clear that the stakes in having a child for him are emotional first and foremost, because at this point, you know, he has forsworn 
opaque. Like he gave away the watch. This is at the point where he said, I want to move back to LA and like abscond away with son and do away with this job. So when he is so excited about the good news that she's pregnant in so many ways, this is purely coming from the fact that like, the woman that I love is now pregnant with this child. This is amazing news. Not, oh boy, I wonder what this means for my employment. Right, 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 right. Uh, but we do get the news. It's the final flashback of the episode where Son is with Bopo, Bopo, sight, Bopo sighting. Uh, which Bopo, though? Uh, I know, this- good question. <laughs> There's so many Bopos out there. Uh, so Son is is walking with Bopo and the doctor shows up and the doctor's like trying to get in the car. And he uh, like he like tracked her yeah, down too because yeah. he catches her outside. How about that? Yeah, I'll says, remember like, this episode as the second episode of season two of Lost, in which Son was nearly kidnapped uh, because the doctor <laughs> is showing up in the car, like get in. It's like no, but your name it's you, it's Son, and he only knows that because her name's on her backpack. Uh, but no, he's, he tells he tells her, look, I've done something terrible. You're not the one who can't have children. It's Jen. How much it's, time do you think has passed between that appointment and this announcement, though? Like, did the doctor sit on this information for a few days? Yeah, it ripped him up. It ripped him up. It ripped him up for a while. And so he he had to take his time before he could come to Sun, before he could shore up the nerve. Uh, but the nerve has been shored up. Uh, and Sun is going to talk to to Jen and, and give him the spiel. And she's like, so that's the deal. You can't have kids. And he's like, but wait a minute. What does that mean? She's like, well, I, I, I'll, I'll swear to you this. I've never been with another man. That's the, the whole lie detector truth. has determined that is a lie. Yeah. So the other reason that I'll remember what happens in the whole truth is much like uh, the whole milk. This is like the half and half, right? Like she gives, yeah. she gives them the half and half truth. Uh, or even like, is it like a 2%? This is like the skim truth. Uh, yeah. like I'm pregnant. No, this is like the all real, this is the- but the other 98% of the fact is I don't know if you're the dad. Yeah, this is the soy truth. Like, this isn't even milk at <laughs> yeah. this point, you know? This yeah. is like, hey, I'll throw in this fact that may or may not have to do with the current situation. Uh-huh. That they're in. It's also one of these interesting points, Josh. One of the only points I feel like where the stuff we find out in the flashback is assumingly what Sun told Jin as well. You know, like it was like Sun being like, hey, here's what happened. So yeah, I so was remember walking the doctor, Bopo. I was walking Bopo and then the doctor's like, get in the car. It's like, I'm not getting in the car. Right, exactly. So like that's it's one of these things where it's not the character just doting on their time. It's actually being told. But Jin, as you said, jumps aboard this idea that it's a miracle. And, you know, I think that seed is going to germinate much more later on when we find out it's true. And, you know, once we find out, once we think back to Locke and we'll find out more about Rose, I think we'll come much more around to this idea of like, Oh, yeah, I guess Jin's fertility, infertility could be cured. But I mean, at the time, I definitely thought it was Jay Lee's baby. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, we didn't know, like, the episode ended, like, kind of, like, provocatively between Jay Lee and Sun. So you didn't know if, like, things were going to go in any direction. Then, like, you get to the Glass Ballerina in season three. And it's a big part of why I definitely remember that episode is because you just, like, get, like, that second flashback. It's just, like, Sun waking up with Jay Lee. And like, oh, okay, I guess they boned. I guess they did it. Ay, ay, ay. All right, so she's telling she's telling him the, the skim truth, the soy truth, uh, and they're going to talk about how, uh, what, what would they name their kid? King Daddy, Quan, seems like a, a really good tribute to, to Jin's father. Um, uh, also, very I- pertinent that Sun's like, let's use one for my mother's, because... She is done mentioning Mr. Paik. Yeah. You know, that, that's another thing we that. skipped over as well is that the doctor said that he specifically chose to lie to Jin because 
he knows that he worked for Mr. Paik and would be afraid that if Jin was told he wasn't fertile, he would take that information to Mr. Paik, who would take it out on him as yeah. a result. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good. The Paik Association truly poisons the well. Um, they want to tell people, but they figure most people already know. Jack and Kate know. Sawyer probably knows. And Jin's like, ah, daddy-o. Uh, which is oh, funny. I love I yeah. love the way DDK says that. Daddy-o. Uh, it's very, very good. Uh, Bernard knows, too. He says, we'll be lucky if we get anybody else to tell. Um, Jin wants to go for a lunch break with Sun, but she wants to chill. She wants to garden and chill. She wants 20 minutes solo. And Jin lets it go. Uh, and and when when he does, she says, I love you. And in a really, really, really super sweet scene, Jin kneels down next to her and in English says, I love you. And oh my God, if that doesn't just get you right in the feels. Oh no, it it really made me well watching it. Oh, it's so good. Because again, it it doubles down on despite the fact that Jin was pretty terrible in a lot of the stuff in this episode. Like he feels, he wants to feel for Sun and do things for Sun at the end of the day. Even if he feels like he's doing things for her protection that turns out not to be and rips the plants out of the ground. So the fact that he not only did that, but it did, did it through learning English and really showed, like, I'm working on my communication as well in both languages to hopefully make sure that, like, you're not being unburdened by being my translator the entire time, even if I need you right now. I just think it's such a genuinely sweet moment that turns sickening for Sun as well when she realizes, like, God, this is so sweet. And also, I don't know if this is your child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so we don't know. I don't know what's going on with any of that. What we do know is that something spectacular is happening at the hatch. We've reached the end of the whole truth. The thing that you totally remember. Uh, <laughs> one of the great, great scenes in Lost History. Let's just listen to it. Let's go in. How is it? Men reject their prophets and slay them, but they love their martyrs and honor those whom they have slain. So what's the difference between a martyr and a prophet? Either way, it sounds like you end up dead. <laughs> That's the spirit. Wait for some breakfast. What's the computer for? Nothing. Cereal? Wow, where'd you guys get cereal? It's down here all along. Pantry's full of food. How old is it? You guys don't know much, huh? I mean, I'd be asking all kinds of questions about all this stuff down here. You guys don't even seem that curious. Do you want the cereal or don't you? This must be my reward for good behavior, huh? I guess I earned myself some goodwill for finally drawing that map for Anna. What map? To my balloon. Did you know? 
Wow, you guys have some real trust issues, don't you? Guess it makes sense she didn't tell you. I mean, with the two of you fighting all the time. Of course, if I was one of them, these people that you seem to think are your enemies, what would I do? be no balloon so I'd draw them out to a real secluded place like a cave or some underbrush a good place for a trap an ambush and when your friends got there a bunch of my people would be waiting for them and then they'd use them to trade for me I guess it's a good thing I'm not one of them, huh? You guys got any milk? Classic. Ah, uh, Stone so Cold Classic. Stone good. Cold Classic. Stone Cold Classic. And I mean, like, what we're about to get into next is very clearly a lot of the stuff that we got into in the feedback this week. Uh, first of all, with Dallin Seraphos writing in and saying, so do they have any milk? Uh, which I don't oh, think I'd, that they do. I mean, <laughs> I would say not, but they also have this like this ranch that they're fine keeping out an extreme temperature. So maybe they have milk, but like weird genetically modified or milk. Like that pow- has a, l- powdered milk, like space milk. Yeah, space milk. <laughs> you guys got any space milk? That would really be giving away his hair, right? Because then he wouldn't, he, uh, would, he would know, but they uh, didn't know that he, he knew that they had space milk. Yeah, exactly. But John Krause asks us, I vote this episode ending as the greatest non-cliffhanger ending ending of the entire show what say you and mike to that i will add i am i am currently lightly toying with it's the 10-year anniversary of the series finale of lost on may 23rd 2020 which is crazy uh maybe you and i should talk offline about should we do something about that um i am i am thinking of putting together a list of either ranking every lost episode ending uh, which would be a different ranking than ranking lost episodes, or at least coming up with um, a list of some of the best endings of the whole show. Um, the whole truth would definitely land on that list and would rank very high on uh, the list if you were counting the entire show. My hot take would be this. The way that I feel about Trisha Tanaka is dead, that that is sort of the, the episode that I have chosen as the ambassador of joy for Lost to be a top five episode of Lost, and that's like the one that I'll allow myself to be a controversial top five pick. I think maybe that would be the whole truth is like the Trisha Tanaka of Lost endings. This is just the best. This is just the best. It's the best. It's Henry. It's it's funny. It's creepy. It it reads very differently when you don't know what the deal is with Henry Gale. Mm-hmm. It reads so differently when you know that's Ben Linus. This is so scary coming from him. It's the best it's the best the slam to the to the to the like it's just constructed so well i mean i think this is the ending that has the most to it that's not twisty i would still personally say that walkabout is my favorite ending or something like deus ex machina which i again would not call a cliffhanger necessarily because we don't immediately follow up on that those are the ones that have me more emotionally swell than this but this is still i would put like top three at least like definitely on that mount rushmore because like you said it's such a delicately 
fantastic performance by Michael Emerson. I mean, I think the rumor is that obviously the character of Henry Gale was contracted to only appear in three episodes, but after watching this scene in particular, they said, okay, we're going to need to keep this guy in for the long haul. And that's what led to Benjamin Linus becoming a larger part of Lost. And it makes sense because, oh, it's just so good. It's so freaking good it's so taunting that you guys don't know much you know saying like wow i can't believe that i i anna lucia got the balloon information it didn't tell you guys and of course just the entire tease of hey if i was leader of the others i definitely have those three people killed uh by sticking them onto the balloon but hey maybe i'm not one of them the power that he holds in this scene is a great culmination of light we talked about the ending of last episode just him and what he represents really being the center of attention and he knows that and so he is going to really have them in playing out of the palm of his hand and you can see it with like the reactions of to i guess it's a good thing i'm not one of them yeah yeah like jack is scowling despite the fact that jack is standing over him ben has the status Locke is giving him this smirk of like god damn it wow Look at this guy. Look what he's been able to do. Like, it's a really interesting scene from Jack and Locke's perspective to react. But it begins and ends this scene with Michael Emerson as Henry Gale. And by God, it's, it's just such level. a freaking good scene. Even from the even from the, the get-go of that clip when Ben reads the, the excerpt from Dostoevsky and says, what's the difference between a martyr and a prophet? Either way, it sounds like you end up dead. Really fun in retrospect, too considering what happens to Jack and what happens to Ben and how they serve as martyrs and how they serve as prophets. And yes, I mean, Jack will be the one who ends up literally dead on the island, but I feel like both are going to end up in that afterlife at the end of it all. So I think it's it's a great harbinger. It's a great like thing to look at both in retrospect and in the moment as well. Ah, such an amazing ending. Such an awesome, awesome, awesome ending. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's like the number one ending of all of Lost, uh, but I'm saying like as I'm cobbling this list together, like I can imagine the world where like my like defiant position is this is number five. This top yeah. five baby. Oh yeah, uh, I would, and I would say that this is yeah, this is something that where it's like I agree. That's like a hot. Like, that's like a off the cuff like shooting from the hip take. So I'm, I'm not married to that take, but it 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 feels that great. That's like that's the love. That's the feeling that this is associated with it's not enough to like boost this episode as like a next level episode or anything like that so maybe that says something um but it, yeah. it is it is such a such a such a fun and I, fun way to close it out and i would also argue like i think there are cliffhangery elements to it though right especially if you don't know like even if you thought that ben was another like oh my god maybe that was his plan maybe Anna lucia and saeed Correct. and charlie are in a lot of danger so i still think there's Correct. a mystery element to it as well which again makes it a really great ending too because you want to see what happens next even if you know that ben's and other is that stated idea going to come to fruition or are they just going to eat them yeah uh, <laughs> the shirts uh, of course um all right so we will uh we will get into we we have actually feedback on that very topic which we'll get into in a second but first let's thank our friends our sponsors for this episode support for today's episode comes from progressive insurance fun fact uh progressive customers qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up for progressive auto insurance discounts for things like enrolling in automatic payments insuring more than one car going paperless and of course being a safe driver Plus, customers who bundle their auto with home or add renter's insurance save an average of 12% on their auto. There's so many ways to save when you switch. And once you're a customer with Progressive, you get unmatched claim service with 24-7 support online or by phone. It's no wonder why more than 20 million drivers trust Progressive and why they've recently climbed to the third largest auto insurer in the country. 
Get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Auto insurance from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Home and renter's insurance not available in all states. Provided and serviced by affiliated and third-party insurers. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. Mike, in to the point of the cliffhangeriness of this, your friend and mine, the great Ben behind the curtain writes in, he says, I remember this one feeling like a cliffhanger. Felt like Saeed, Charlie, and Anna were walking into an ambush. And when there was no ambush in the next episode, I felt like that was the moment when I could finally believe that Henry was telling the truth. Ben adds a dot, 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 leaves out the hmm. But I think, <laughs> but I think that that is uh, a big piece of this, right? And why I think that this is so well constructed uh, is the, the ending is both provocative uh, and, and so scary, uh, but also very funny. But it leaves you uh, going into the next episode being like, oh, God, what, what is about to happen to Saeed, Charlie, and Anna? And in the next episode, they're going to find the balloon, and then yep. we won't see them again until they come back with what they now know. Uh, yeah. um, and and I think that what what is masterful about that is you go from feeling like this is probably secretly the devil, this guy, to then through most of lockdown feeling like, I think that he might be telling the truth. I think yeah. he might be a John Locke ally. And then you get to the end of the episode and it's now irrefutable. Um, so that's really, really brilliantly constructed as well. Yeah, I think that this, between this and the end of lockdown, is going to be the most up in the air we are about Henry Gale as an audience as to whether or not he is telling the truth. But again, when you look at it in retrospect, the surety with which Michael Emerson talks like off the cuff about it should have been an indicator of like, yeah, no, if even if he was like this mining guy from Minnesota... He has way too many nefarious plans in his idea to like not to just come up with this off the cuff. So maybe we should have thought that the surety with which he spoke about the plan so nonchalantly to just screw with Jack and Locke would indicate that, yeah, he's an other and he's like pretty far up there considering the stuff he's just able to come up with on the fly. Uh, from Eric Divestein, Ben's monologue at the end of this episode is so good and iconic, but Locke and Jack shouldn't be buying it. How could Henry possibly coordinate with the others to plan an ambush at a specific time and place when he's been locked up with no ability to communicate with them? So what do you think, Mike? Should the ambush even be taken seriously at this point? I mean, I feel like the they know that the others are capable of coordination. I mean, look at the stuff that they've been able to do. Like, Look at how they dress. They coordinate that pretty well. Exactly. Uh, and I'm surprised. They're, no wonder they're wearing rags if their leader just has an ability to eat all their shirts all the time. Uh, I think that, you know, they they know about the boat, assumingly from Sawyer and Jin and Michael. I would not be surprised if like their imaginations ran wild of like, hey, maybe there's an opportunity. Maybe there's some sort of chance of them being able to watch us and know exactly what we're doing and might be able to monitor us. So I do not begrudge them in the least for buying into this story because the at this point, the others are such an enigma to the point where the fake beards have not been uh, become public knowledge right now where they could be capable of anything, including playing this ambush, even if one of their own is locked up seemingly in an area where they would have no contact with him. Uh, Stefan Johnson, the great Stefan Johnson, writes in, do you think that Juliet or somebody else from the others is at the Pearl Station, speaking of pearls, watching the cameras in the Swan? And if things get too far out of line, they can radio in an extraction team. What do you think about that? Do you think that this whole period of time of Ben's captivity is being monitored uh, so that like, if things start going too far off the rails, they can maybe do something about it? 
I feel like it's monitored, but more so for the people being watched than for Ben. Like, I could imagine Ben be the type of person to say, no matter what, like, it's the young Frankenstein, right? No matter how much I scream, no matter how much I protest, do not go in there and help (laughs) me. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I think the other thing is, like, the others have the capacity to storm the gates, potentially. Uh, Like, they've got the manpower for it. They've got the resources for it. But they also must know that that button needs to be pushed. Yeah. Uh, that that if it's not, things are catastrophic. That it is dangerous. Uh, and to to go in guns a-blazing would be potentially a very foolhardy thing to do. Um, so I think the extraction plan and why they send Michael in to do it with like giving Michael like a real reason to turn against his his friends um is because like he can bloodlessly infiltrate the hatch maybe not exfiltrate you know but he can get in there without having to spill any blood yeah and i can also imagine that like i think if they need to storm the gates it would also be the others giving away their hand of like okay we're not you know the derelict people that you think which we sort of see at the end of episode at season two right when tom rips off the beer but it's only because they know that he is essentially a sham this is still a guise that ben wants them to keep up and i'm assuming once they break in with all the you know the, the supplies that they have they really show their hand as to like yeah we're not necessarily the jungle savages you think we are yeah uh, Daniel Brennan has some thoughts about Jin in this episode. Uh, Daniel writes, Jin's apology towards the end of the episode is pretty bad. It seemed prompted by his inability to understand Sawyer and Bernard by the water rather than an appreciation for how much he's hurt Sun since the beginning of their relationship. After he told Sun that he needed her, he explained that without her, he cannot communicate with anyone else. While there's a practical reason Jin needs Sun in his life while living on the island, it's not the reasoning I would have offered him if he were trying to make things right with his wife. So why is Jin so bad at apologizing? And why does Sun not have any problems with his reasoning? Well, first off, Jin's bad at apologizing because he has not been taught to apologize yet, which he'll learn, and Trisha Tanaka is dead. So uh-huh. that, that's one. I was wrong. Uh, but no, I, I don't know. I talked about this before. I'm going to disagree with Daniel a bit because I feel like Jin's sort of statements here is a bit of a microcosm, again, of not like, I just need you because you are my Google Translate son. But I feel like it's more a representation for him of, I realized how much I need you in my daily life, like how much I lean on you for so many things, not just the language barrier, but also so, so many things. It's made me realize being apart from you, how much I needed you. Let's also remember that like, yes, they've come together a bit, but we really haven't had a lot of uh, content since they came back together. And I feel like this is a good sort of reminder as to what they learned about each other from ooh and found in the time that we they spent apart um jim fells the great jim fells has a troubling thought for us uh charlie has a gun says jim the terrifying conclusion here is that charlie likely took the gun from the stash before he told sawyer where to find it so what was he planning to do with so, well, first off, let me just give a shout-out to the shout-out here. Uh, Jim Fells actually gave us a shout-out in his video this week, Josh. Hey, how about that? And it was specifically for the coming out scene from this week. <laughs> coming out. So thank you for the shout-out, Jim Fells. <laughs> we'll shout-out you, your video in, in a little bit. But, yeah, it, I mean, so I guess is because you said that you thought, you know, Sawyer sort of offered it to him uh, to sort of skim off the top. But Jim's is sort of presupposing that Charlie stole it from Sawyer. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's terrifying. Like, I, I guess I could buy that. I could buy that. 
I mean, if he, if he still sense. isn't, if he still fears that Aaron's life is in danger, then I can imagine him. I would hope he'd imagine it for those types of purposes. But the other side of me is thinking, like, is he going to pull an Anna Lucia here and like shoot at something that he thinks might be hurting Aaron? And it turns out to be, I don't know, like Hurley or something. Yeah, or Hurley Bird, even. But I, mm-hmm. I do think uh, if Charlie was going to go along with the long con uh, and not get anything out of the deal other than humiliating Locke, uh, I think, like, you know, bad strategy. I don't know about take the gun, but like, you know, take the cannoli if there's a cannoli at least. Uh, but, you know, do something, do something. Um, all right. Speaking of Jim Fells, aside from the the down the hatch shout out, which, of course, we appreciate. What else have of we course. learned about the music of the whole truth? So there's a second island thing that gets brought in that's called Map Quest. I think that's fun because that's and it was officially called Map Quest because, you know, 2006, which I think is fun. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but when Jin tears up the garden in the first act of this episode, the same music plays as when Sun gets kidnapped in the long con. No, so it, like, oh, cool. really shows like the ramifications of that poor, poor garden. Uh, there's a little bit of like a sunlight motif that gets introduced in this episode. There was a Jin one that was introduced, I believe, either last season or earlier this season that is obviously due to their relationship more aggressive hers is more softer and subdued though again if Damon Lindelof is to be pulled it seems like she is the one that is becoming a bit more aggro with what she's doing and there's gonna be like a little bit of like a gin and son uh marriage 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 that plays uh throughout like we're gonna hear it when Jin tells young Danielle Rousseau that he lost his wife it's gonna be playing when Jin gives the wedding ring to Locke in this place's death to say, like, tell son that you buried me. So there'll sort of be, like, a little marriage recurring throughout. So it's not just, like, a Jin motif and a son motif. It's, like, a specifically representing the bond that they have together. Uh, some fun lost shenanigans going on right now. Uh, Make it the most out of quarantine is Amy Ratchlin on, on YouTube did this uh, incredible video that's a side-by-side of her recreating the Desmond opening of season oh, two so good. Uh, of the whole Desmond routine. Uh, we're going to link to that in the show notes. If you haven't watched that yet, it's it's super, super fun. Really, really worth watching. It'll put a smile on your face. This put a smile on my face, Mike. This was from uh, at JD uh, underscore Pounder on Twitter. Uh, wrote, did I just talk about down the hatch with someone on Tinder? Maybe. Guess it brings a whole new meaning to getting lost in the conversation. For the record, this means I told a stranger that I listened to a two and a half to three hour podcast about a 16 year old show every week and he is still interested in me. Uh, so look at us. Uh, this, this is great. This is great. Just make it awesome. all happen. This it's is lovely. awesome. I, I'm so happy. No matter where things go, like I'm just so happy that people put up with the idea of someone telling them about a 2.5 to 3 hour podcast <laughs> about <Yeah>. Lost. <laughs> uh, Josh Harkness on Twitter. Um, people who, who don't listen to the Survivor coverage in, uh, in the RHAP universe and just listen to the post-show recap side of things and maybe even only listen to Down the Hatch might not know that Mike Bloom, um, in an effort to, to help Rob Sesternino's efforts to raise money for PPE uh, for the ongoing pandemic, uh, Mike offered to get a tattoo uh, if the if the funds reached a certain amount, they will surely reach the amount. Mike, you are certainly getting a tattoo. Mm. You mentioned survivor tattoos, uh, but Josh nominates two tattoos that are of the lost variety. It's who you came with and who you leaving with on your wrists. What uh. do you think? Would you would you sh- would you consider DJ Dom as one of the the tattoos that you're considering uh, for your body? Oh, that is so much fun. 
I really, really love that. Though I feel like because it's a lost tattoo, it would be disqualified from the current contest. But man, I would absolutely love and because there's not a lot of pair tattoos that really work. You know, I guess you could do like live together, die alone. But who you came with and who you're leaving with is so specific to down the hatch that it would certainly make me remember that particular episode without a million asides like we did in this podcast. All right. Well, how about this? You, you get through the survivor tattoo. Let us know how that goes. I know there's a lot of ideas percolating right now, and maybe even I'm simultaneously podcasting with you and trolling you on Twitter as of this recording. It's entirely possible that these two things are happening at oh once. Oh, my God. I just looked at my notifications. <laughs> Oh, no. Listen, the stakes need to be real. You can't just have only tattoos that you like in competition to be tattooed on your body. There has to be some danger here. You're a podcaster. You know that's true. You know it's true. You know it in your heart that it's true. Uh, But get through that. Get through this whole situation. Get through the survivor tattoo. And then maybe you and I can we can come up with an idea for for something loss related that's also charitable. Let's call that a what's once again stick a fork in that and call that a future problem yeah i think so uh we'll we'll deal with that down the line and who knows maybe we'll have matthew fox design it and so he can tell the, <laughs> he can tell the story as to where it came from uh i'll i'll see if emily fox has any connections uh, to, to matt yeah have her go into the foxhole and like you know ask the other foxes if they can speak with matthew yeah we can make that work all right mvps and lvps mike you've got three mvps two lvps uh and i've got two mvps and three lvps to dish out and are we both coming out for anna lucia with our first point yeah, this is going to be double points for Anna Lucia. Look, this is arguably one of her best episodes as a character. She has her own humanizing moment where she talks to Saeed about, you know, wanting people to like her, but realizing that's just who she is. She is able to get the information out of Ben when nobody else could. And she very wisely goes over Jack and Locke's head, considering how much they are squabbling with one another, to go find this balloon and get some action done. This is a fantastic episode for Anna Lucia. And to quote Hurley, dude, she could use the points. Yeah, absolutely. So I co-signed oh, I, that. Though, actually, I think that Anna Lucy has actually been doing okay uh, in our coming into this episode. She had three points, so she was not in the negative like some of these other characters. But still, she is not nearly as well-liked as some of her other tailies. I think maybe um, uh, so- something that would – it certainly surprises me and may surprise the, 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 the hatchlings is, as it stands in the Season 12 MVP LVP rankings, Echo is in front with 12. Saeed is behind with eight, so it's still a comfortable lead for Mr. Echo. But in third place, it's Anna Lucia. Anna Lucia has five points. Yeah, after this, she'll have five points. It's absolutely crazy. Like, she's past Kate. She's past, I mean, she's past, you know, Jack and yeah, Jack and Locke. So, like, she she has passed a lot of the main characters. But I think she was a big part of the first third of this season, as we mentioned. And she has her, her, her moments here as well. And I think we've been trying to walk into season two. We talked about this during our Exodus podcast briefly to sort of, like, I think look at Anna Lucia from a different eye than I think a lot of people look at her in the grand history of Lost of being this yeah. bad character and season ruiner. And I think it's reflected in our point total. So I, I am not surprised by it, considering what our thesis statement was for season two coming in. Yeah, that being coming out. Uh, that being said, uh, Anna is soon to die, so a, a very likely LVP point headed her way into for the road coming up. Um, I should note that the the writers of this episode of the Whole Truth, Elizabeth Sarnoff and Christina M. Kim, are also the writers of Two for the Road. Uh, uh. So as they're as they're uh, you know really taking an active role in the shaping of the Anna Lucia Endgame. So shout out to them for that. Um, so we both are giving MVP points to Anna. Um, who do you got for your next one? 
Gotta give it to Ben. Three for three here in, in Henry Gale episodes. And again, it's that freaking Michael Emerson performance giving an all-time monologue, all-time ending of Lost, uh, and just being able to toy with them so well. This is what he wants them to do. Yes, he may not have realized that Saeed is coming along and that might bust the whole thing wide open, but he has them eating out of the palm of his hands like it is dry cereal, and I love it. Uh, I'm going to give my second and uh, second and final MVP point of the week to Sun. Uh, I think a, a great performance, as always, from Yunjin Kim. Uh, I think that she uh, handles the the whole stress of the situation really, really well. Um, I I empathize with her greatly in her flashback portion of the episode. Um, and even if you don't like it, like she's a very competent liar. Uh, yeah. In terms of like being like, that's the whole truth, Jen. I promise. There's nothing else. If only Saeed, if only Jen had like fact check with Saeed, you know, to if he yeah. was if he was not inconvenienced, he could have very easily he she cheated on you. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's my rationale for Sun. Uh, and I, you know what? Let's let's keep the the Quan pairing going here. This might be a bit contentious. I'm going to give one to Jin here, and I will say about. 80% of it is due to Daniel Day Kim's performance, which, again, I feel like his character in particular had to really bridge the emotional spectrum this episode between the pure fury of him finding out that Sun was unable to get pregnant versus the unbridled joy that he had when he found out Sun was pregnant to him very sweetly and very, you know, uh, very, very just soberly saying, I love you. Uh, soberly maybe is the wrong term, just very simply saying I love you. Like, I think Daniel Day Kim puts in a lot of great work this episode. And I do personally feel like, apologies to Daniel Brennan again for disagreeing, but I do feel like Jin's intentions on Island, he does come around and he does have, you know, her squarely in the shape of his heart. And I think that he realized how much she means to him in this episode. And so he is going to dedicate himself fully to her the entire time and realize that maybe that involves not tearing out the the plants out of her garden. So... That's why maybe it's a bit of a Jin apologist uh, part of me, but I'm going to give Jin a point this episode as well. Yeah, and I'm going to take it away uh, as my first move here with the LVPs because he's such a dick in the flashback, yeah. and he destroys the garden. He kills all, right. all of these plants. And I'm going to take a point away from Sun. What? <laughs> because she cheats on her husband and might possibly be pregnant with that man's child. Oh, my God. Uh so All right. we have we have pretty much washed wash, the Kims. Wash on week. the Quans. A wash on the Quans. Um, okay, so well, it's a wash on the Quans. Uh, let's see if we can if we can do some damage to other people. Uh, it's the whole tooth. Uh, so the dentist gets a uh, gets some attention here. How do you forget your wife's birthday, Bernie? Uh, and also like being like, tell him, tell him now. This is Son's secret to tell, but we should be the ones to tell him. Bad yeah. look for Bernard this week. And Bernard's also, getting an LVP point. Looking a bit dull with like, well, there must be an oyster around here. Let me see if I can get <laughs> one. When you have no indication that oysters are anywhere in this facility in the South Pacific. I'm going to throw one onto, this is a bit of like a secondhand connection, but I didn't feel like adding yet another like negative one to the list. I'm going to consolidate when I can here. So I'm going to give sort of like a ghost LVP point, but a real one to Mr. Paik, who is in absentia this episode, but I feel like his influence is definitely here. 
right? Yeah. Like the reason why Jin is Jin tells Sun that, oh, I want to have a baby so that Mr. Paik will give me a better position. The doctor lies to Jin and has him essentially take it out on Sun because he believes that Mr. Paik will seek retribution. So even though he is not a part of this episode, that almost is a, a representation of the the hold that Mr. Paik holds over these flashbacks. That even when he's not in an episode, his influence is definitely seen and heard. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Uh, final LVP is going to go to John Locke. I think like he's just he's shooting from the hip here. He's gotten uh, you know bends under his skin, and it took like very minimal effort for Henry to 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 get under uh, Locke's skin. Uh, he's in his head. He's acting in a way that's like just kind of like macho to be macho. Um, it's just not good, and I think it's 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 uh, it's it's kind of like. You know, I, I think when we when we look at Locke right now, he's sort of in in free fall here in the points. He's currently zeroed out because of this negative one uh, in the season two uh, estimation, at least. And I'd be curious, actually, where he is uh, in in the Grand Hall. He's now at two in the Grand Hall. Wow, which uh, puts him below Benjamin Linus. Yeah, so Ben has already overtaken Locke. I think that that's one of the reasons why I love the character. He's so he's such a roller coaster. It's, he's so it's up and down, yeah. Very up and down with with John Locke. But I think like we we remember season 2 for being a season that's like really rough on Charlie that he's like, you know, it's it's not a great look for Charlie. I think sometimes maybe we don't uh appreciate as much how how rough of a season season 2 is for John Locke. Well, I think um, that It's really showing right now. I think that it's partially because knowing the outcome of the hatch, we don't really see the forest for the trees sometimes. There's like, wait a minute, Locke was right the entire time. So therefore, we can look on him more fondly on season two when you are totally right. And we're going to get into it next week as well, that John Locke's approach to this, while he is correct in the content, the intent and the way he approaches things are sometimes not the most thought out, surprisingly, for the man who prides himself as a hunter. All right, let's do 4.2 stars. Uh, let's let's rank the whole truth uh, from 0 to 4.2. I give the score, you give the score, the audience gives the score, and that gives us the Down the Hatch official score. Uh, for the whole truth, I think um, this, is, this is a very solid episode of Lost that I enjoyed about as much as Everybody Hates Hugo and What Kate Did, which I gave uh, 3.2s. Uh, to uh, I feel like it's in league with those episodes, like a totally good, acceptable episode of Lost. It does have a next level ending. I don't think it's enough to push it past uh, the scores that I gave for Hugo and Kate. Um, so I'm just going to keep it uh, consistent with those. 3.2 is where I'm going to go with the whole truth. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, everything here is at least OK. I think that the ending and even like the Anna Lucia stuff is really, really great. The Quan stuff, well, I do love me some Quan stuff. I think... If we're sort of comparing this to other, the Quan storyline in general, I think the pregnancy is, for lack of a better term, a really kind of weird bump in all this. I still don't know how I feel about, like, viewing these characters through the way that they were behaving in this episode. And it also just felt like, again, as we talked about in the very beginning of this podcast, a storyline that I feel like could have been placed in any other episode and would have been completely fine. Like, it does not feel that the whole truth is about Jin and Sun and their struggles with pregnancy. It feels like the episode with Henry Gale and Anna Lucia's quest to look for the balloon. So yeah, I agree. I it's, agree. Been a, it's been a weird sort of like a coincidence that, you know, each Quan episode, I started with a 3.8 for House of the Rising Sun. Uh, Ooh, in translation, got a 3.6. 
ooh, and found got a 3.4. And it just so happens that, yeah, I'm going to give it a 3.2 as well. So I'm just going down the degrees in scale of even numbers. And so we'll see if, you know, the Glass Ballerina finishes with a straight 3.0. We will see in Season 3. But, Josh, uh, I think we are lower on this episode than our listeners who gave this episode a 3.5 on average. Yeah, a 3.5 on average, which is higher than what the audience uh, gave to Everybody Hates Hugo and what Kate did. But still, the whole truth is clustered with those episodes, ultimately. The whole truth clocking in at a 3.3, just above Everybody Hates Hugo and What Kate Did, but just below, and just a smidge below, ooh, and found. I think that makes uh, sense, because I feel like in season one, we had like some of the Quan episodes paired up as well. So I think it makes sense that we continue that trend. Um, just kind of like workshopping this a little bit. Is this episode uh, improved, dramatically altered, if uh, it is more centered on Anna, Saeed, and Charlie going in pursuit of the balloon, and rather than having the Quan flashback, you could still have everything that's going on with the pregnancy, um, rather than having that flashback, we get experimental again. And the experimental quality is we're flashing back to what Ben told Anna about what his uh, his life on the island was like as Henry Gale and his wife. And so what we're seeing there is a flashback to something that's not real. It's like a farce. It's a, it's a mm. fake. And uh, the episode ending with what Henry says to, to John and Jack then kind of like puts the whole thing on its head of like, wait, was anything that I just watched, was any of that true? Was that the whole truth or was there a lie in here somewhere? Ooh, I really like that idea. My only piece of criticism is that I don't know if you want to use that flashback structure right after maternity leave. Like, I do like the sense of return to normalcy and conventionality when it comes to the flashback to the whole truth. Like, if we go high, two Kai concept episodes in a row when it turns to that, that might be a bit too much, but I would love this idea of fake Henry Gale flashbacks. You yeah, know, of like, what fun. do we see about him in Minnesota? Let's watch him eat his dead wife. You know, I, I want to <laughs> see every piece of that story. <laughs> I want to see every piece of his wife consumed. Uh, That's the entire flashback. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. Well, we've reached the end of the line here. What a weird podcast this week. Yeah, I feel like this is is probably one of the most fun podcasts we've recorded for one of the episodes that, again, like, ironically, is going to be one of the most memorable ones for one of the most unmemorable episodes of Lost. That's the way it always turns out. I'll never forget the whole truth again. All right. But next week, an unforgettable episode coming up. Lockdown. Oh, my God. I mean, this is obviously we have talked a lot about the lost Internet culture, but this was like, I think, the moment that broke the community wide open. This yeah. is the blast door map was a moment that will forever be cemented in Internet subculture history, which became the very first thing that as lost fans, we could salivate over every single minute detail it is a game changer in so many ways the ending we have yet another incredible ending when it turns out that as you mentioned before that yes henry gale is a black guy he is not the man you see in front of you so it's just a really great episode the lock flashbacks are pretty good i remember it's it's a it's the we can we uh conclude the helen saga i believe as he ardently pursues anthony cooper so we're going back to the johnny lockwell for quite some time first time since orientation i'm excited to reapproach the subject all right and also as mentioned uh the the 10 year anniversary of the end of the lost series finale is may 23rd mike maybe let's talk offline some yeah. ideas that we could do for something like that but maybe we can uh 
Maybe maybe keep an eye out or an ear out for some bonus down the hatchery uh, coming your way in the not-too-distant future. We're not just getting to lockdown, which is a dynamite episode, but we're coming up on a very important anniversary. So it feels like a good time and to get you a double it, dose of Lost. And we remembered Yes, yes, we did. So uh, maybe keep an ear out for a double dose of Lost down the hatch coming your way very, very soon. For the lockdown episode, get your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Come. You can also tweet at us. I'm at Round Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type, and at Pusho Recaps is our Twitter account. Subscribe. Your ratings and reviews are greatly appreciated. Uh, Mike, uh, good luck to you. Bon voyage to you. As you and I are recording this on a Wednesday early afternoon, mm-hmm. by the time people are listening to this, the fruits of your labor are already available. But you have a long night ahead of you in the live recording of this podcast, where the Survivor finale is tonight. You're going to get to interview all of the finalists. Uh, I know uh, parade.com slash survivor is the shortcut, if I'm remembering right, uh, to, to, get all of your, to get all of your parade content for the exit interviews. I'm very excited to read them all. Thank you. Yeah, I am very excited as well. It's, it's been, you know, a big uh, island-based year so far. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Between, you know, a survivor and, and talking about loss. It's going to be weird to, to bid adieu to an island for the foreseeable future. But, yeah, I'll be covering all of that at parade.com slash tag slash survivor. Not plenty slash of interviews slash survivor. Okay, um, sorry. And I'm, I'm sure plenty, plenty of survivor podcasts come from Josh and myself as well, even as the survivor well runs dry with previous episodes. So we'll still have some island talk in us even if the islands become less freaky or more freaky depending on where the hell we go in the off season yeah we have no idea what's coming up and that's how we like it maybe not exactly how we like it but we'll make do with it we'll find a way to like it exactly we'll make tattoos about it well (laughs) you will not me all right we'll be back next week with some more lost action until then everybody take care goodbye Four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen.